0: I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review.
1: Welcome to episode 204. Did everybody have their crazy flakes today? This week, we're discussing season four, episode four of Battlestar Galactica, six of one, and season seven, episode five of Buffy, Selfless.
0: As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay. Uh, was there enough numbers in that in what you were saying for you? Four, four, six, <laughs> three, one, seven, five. Like
1: about three words in, I was like, I hope I get this out all right because I'm kind of just winging yeah. it.
0: Um, yeah. Well, as it is, um, I think you actually had some production notes that you wanted to start with for this episode.
1: Uh, I did. Um, just about the writing. Um. So, uh, this is a Michael Angeli episode who we kind of gave up hard time last season. Yeah. Um, you know, we, uh, I recently listened to, um, our discussions of, uh, the woman King and the sun also rises, yeah, yeah, yeah. which didn't get the greatest reviews. Um, but I want to definitely point out the, uh, little comeback here because he actually got an Emmy nomination for this, uh, episode. Mm. Um, which is the only other one besides um, Ron Moore with Occupation and Precipice. Um, okay. So, hey, major accomplishment, sure. you know, um, by, uh, you know, one of the writers here. So we can talk about the episode if we like it, uh, you know, as much as that implies or whatever. But um, definitely this is a huge uh, upturn. Well for his reputation as, in the in the staff of the show. Sure. So
0: um I mean I'll I'll come out with a hot take I guess and just say like All right. I, I definitely <laughs> like this better than that's I, what
1: we serve than, here. Than either <laughs> of
0: those. <laughs> yeah um I yeah. mean I yeah, that's probably not too hot of a take. But um yeah, I mean Oh uh,
1: well uh, here's I have a I have an even hotter take which kind of looks toward the future. Um this isn't even my favorite Michael episode of this season. Well, there you go. My favorite episode of the season, but I would agree. Like, yeah, putting like this is definitely much stronger than the ones that were in season thirty. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, you know, I mean, everybody I, has an off
0: year. I was saying that. I mean, I was earnest in a sense that I believe it, but like also tongue in cheek and like, you know, no crap, Curtis. Like, like that. This episode is better. <laughs> ...than both of those. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I sure. mean... I don't yeah. know... Like, I'd have to think about it. Like, it, you know, you can always go back and be like, oh, is this more deserving than some other episode? Right. Um And...
1: And those things are always pretty arbitrary. Yeah, you know, like...
0: Like, there's always that question, too, of, like, maybe he did have a better episode later, but maybe, like, this was the one... Like, we've talked about how sometimes... These sorts of nominations can be more symbolic than particular sure. to the episode. So it's like you have to pick an episode because, like, that's the way the award is given. But like, maybe it's more mm-hmm. symbolic of like his writing overall, or or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, that's not to say that I dislike this episode. I do right. like the episode, um, but it's always hard too because, like, this is we're. It's not really a two parter, I guess. But we, I mean, it is very much a, a cliffhanger you know coming off of the last episode so Mm -hmm. you know
1: yeah you're right you're right it does feel like an odd choice to kind of put up for the like to be the kind of like Like as a standalone
0: story like like maybe if they had coupled it with the previous one there would be more you know to sort of hang a hat on but um i don't know right Uh, you know again like i don't necessarily dislike this episode at all so like I don't want to be too critical of it in with that in mind, just sort of just sort of thinking through yeah. like does it make the most sense if you were to you know nominate right. one, and like you said, you have uh no, fa- your favorite one is coming up of his, so yeah, maybe that answers I, I, and the question s- several
1: <laughs> several even um, sure, but uh, yeah, no, and I think like this is a pretty well written and like all the scenes are actually like really. You know, there's some really strong scenes in here, but I think what you're pointing out is right in that. Just in terms of the kinds of things that get sort of awarded, it's an odd choice. It's not a, so It's not a bad choice. It's just like it, it generally. I feel like does tend to be more either a premiere or a finale or some sort of standalone that has some special concept to it. You know, um, like a like, a hush or a blink or something that has this kind of memorable conceit. Like, those tend to be your your award winners. So, to kind of take, like, you know, episode two that kind of somewhat continues the plot threads of episode one is kind of, like, an interesting choice. Mm. And, you know. But, I mean, must have been well-received or it wouldn't have gotten the nomination. I mean, plenty of things are submitted and they don't necessarily get nominated for awards. So... Um, So there must be something in the writing that appealed to, you know, whoever makes these sorts of decisions. Um, Whoever the voting base is. Um, So, industry people or whatever. Um, So, yeah, that's all I wanted to point out is, you know, for... um, Fairly, rarely do, do these shows that we are talking about get, like, primetime Emmy nominations. So it's notable
0: when it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, cool. So, that said, let's turn to the episode itself. Um, wanted to start with Starbuck, which is maybe reasonable enough, considering I, I, if for, as far as like there is a thread throughout the episode, I feel like it follows mm-hmm. her more than anyone else, although mm-hmm. you could argue maybe Lee is also sort of a parallel thread um, mm-hmm. but yeah, we'll start with her because like she's the one with the gun at the beginning and pointing it <laughs> at uh, the audience uh or at least Roslyn. Sure. um but yeah, uh so yeah, her you know. At the end of the previous episode, which I have to admit, like, it feels kind of weird because it's been, like, a few weeks uh, since we talked about it, right? I guess maybe only two, but, like, for us, it's been uh, yeah. a little a little longer than normal. Right. Um,
1: right, right. Well, I was away for a week, and then we uh, we did a bonus episode. So oh,
0: that's right. So lot. we did that I episode are, in between. So, uh, like, three weeks then.
1: It has been a little um, while, yeah.
0: Which means that I've watched it more than I've watched any other episode because, like, I wanted to sort of keep it fresh. But, um... Yeah. Anyway, so... Coming off the last episode, you know, she... had... sort of, like, knocked out a guard and Sam and, like, taken a gun and, like, ran to Roslin's. Well, I guess, Adama's quarters where Roslin is staying. And... Mm-hmm is now, like, holding her hostage, basically. Um, Mm -hmm. And, I mean, there's some back and forth there. And, like, Rosalind has kind of her moments of, like, shock and, like, not really knowing what to do. Um, But the part that I sort of focused on was where Starbuck is kind of, like, reminding her, like, do you remember how, like, blindly I trusted you? (laughs) And, like... Not just, like, said, oh, okay, sure, like, you know, let's do what you say, but, like, went back to Cylon, occupied Caprica, and, like, found this, you know, memento or relic or whatever you want to call it, and, like, Mm -hmm. you know, managed to come back alive and help you on your quest. Like, basically... Your quest, like, practically speaking, I fulfilled everything you needed to have your quest, like, be successful to the point that it is. Mm-hmm. And that's all because I trusted you and believed in you and, you know, did what you wanted. Yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah, so what she said, she actually says, you had a vision. Remember the arrow, the temple? I went down to that planet. Uh, and it was a fracking toaster party. a lot of good people died. Remember, so this is talking about um Cobol, was it uh mm-hmm. that they went down and and mm-hmm. uh yeah, just talking through like how much she trusted her and followed her, and like now it's like she comes back and she's completely shunned, not just shunned but like you know called a liar and possibly a Cylon and, like, also shunned. Yeah. And, like, you know, this is obviously very frustrating for her, uh, for Starling. Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah.
0: And then, of course, it's the flip, right? It's the... It's not, I'm going to kill you because you don't believe me. It's, if you don't believe me, then you should kill me. If you really think I'm a Cylon, then... Shoot me, shoot your enemy, because that's what I am to you.
1: Right, right. Put your money where your mouth is, and um, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, you kind of, you know, mentioned or joked about, oh, she's pointing the gun at the audience. But, like, I do feel like there's a kind of meta element to this um, that I often hear folks complain about the ending not the ending like the way it ends, but the final season of Battlestar and all of its kind of, um, I guess, religion or spiritualism or this kind of increased sense of divine intervention and providence and all these things. And that might be valid and there might be um, some fair arguments to that. But, But there's also a sense in which it ignores the fact that that's always been part of the show, even from the beginning. And maybe it becomes more... It kind of snowballs over time and becomes more prominent and more central to the story. But visions and prophecies and the word of God have been in the story from the very start. And I feel like that's kind of the point Starbuck is making here, is... Um, before you dismiss what she's saying as stupid and crazy and completely out of left field consider the the extent to which we've been buying into this kind of thing all along of Roslyn her dream vision interpretations of the scrolls and you know Roslyn or Baltar's or whoever's role as Uh, a prophet or the hand of God or whatever um and so she's kind of confronting you know people who might want to dismiss her as ridiculous or clearly insane or not making sense um she's kind of confronting you saying like well you've been buying into that kind of thing from the very beginning and especially Rosalind has been the voice of that from the very
0: beginning
1: um so yeah
0: yeah um
1: and then i think in the reversal what's really interesting is that Rosalind shoots
0: <laughs> well <laughs> like, yeah
1: you the the kind of the 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 tv moment you expect is that that's the the convincing argument that that talks Roslyn off the ledge um but that's not what happens you know that she her certainty and her whatever you want to call it ruthlessness or whatever is such that she you know like starbuck is her enemy appears to be with the cylons and that's what we do to cylons you
0: sure know? um and Rosalind does shoot but this is like talking about sort of the relationship between audience and character like This is the question that this is the audience question that Adama voices, right? Is did she mean to miss? Right. And like Rosalind sort of says, well, you know, the medicine she's taking sort of messes up her mind and you know, it seems plausible, but that's also the kind of thing someone who might not want to admit that they were you know, maybe weaker than they mm-hmm. hoped to be, if you call that a weakness. Like, maybe mm-hmm. she would rather people think that she missed because of her medication than that she missed out of some sort of uh, compassion or or mm-hmm. insecurity or, you know, uh, mm-hmm. indecisiveness, you know? Like, that that is better to sort of blame it on a physiological problem than right. um, some sort of lack of leadership quality or, or whatever.
1: Yeah. That's a great line later about Delox and fracts with your aim. And he says, so does doubt. So right. yeah. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, it is kind of obviously left, ambiguous but you know is there a a both and kind of interpretation there especially I mean we won't jump ahead too much but in light of that later conversation it definitely seems like there is that aspect of her insecurity about her own her own past with visions and prophecy and all these sorts of things and the fact that the extent to which Kara coming in with that kind of language threatens Rosalind's position as the the sort of spiritual head of the fleet. Um, so, yeah, can she not admit that there's doubt? She, she shoots because she has to believe that Kara's a Cylon, but maybe she misses because she's not quite sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's still accident.
1: Or maybe it's the dogs, and, and her, yeah, and, and, you know, her hands are not very steady.
0: Um, so, yeah. So, Ty and, you know, his Marines come in, and, you know, Adama and stop, well, I mean, they don't really stop her, like, She's already given up the gun and Rosalind shoots. Which I find interesting that, like, they still, like, tackle Starbuck. Like, I know they know, like, Mm. the situation or whatever is that, like, she's supposedly gone off the rails and, you know, is threatening the president or whatever. But, like, when they come into the situation, like, Rosalind's the one holding the gun. Like... And Starbucks not like, wouldn't you, I don't know. I guess I feel like there's maybe a little lapse in, not that, not for the first time in sort of like, uh, for lack of a better term, due process or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> like maybe there's, sure. I mean, it's Thai we're talking about. So maybe this is even ridiculous for me to even bring up. But, like, you know, there is that there is that thing of, like, hey, if you're really, like, an objective, like, Marine on the spot, like, dealing with a crisis situation, wouldn't you go in there and look and be like, uh, she's the one with the gun, so maybe we should take that away from her and then deal with, like, like, maybe a first step is just merely stepping in between, not, like, tackling the person who doesn't have a gun that's that i guess that's my only point (laughs) um for whatever well
1: and i think it it does kind of bring up the question of even as a suspected cylon or cylon agent or conspiracy or whatever to what extent does starbuck have any rights at all or any of them you know um which is kind of part of the conversation that the the penultimate four as you're calling them are having later is that's part of their, besides the, the shame of it, that's part of the, the reluctance to not come forward with what they know is because they know how they're treated right. and what everyone, what kind of conclusions people are going to jump to about Although, their lack of humanity. And so everything.
0: this brings up something
1: even as, like, that, even as they're perpetrating it. You know, like, even as Ty is the first one to deny asylum their
0: rights. Right. Um, this brings um, up something that actually, yeah. like, it took me three watches to sort of think about. <laughs> which, so maybe it was good. We had the extra week or so in there. Yeah. Or two. Um, and also, like, after, so we did our special discussion. We recorded it. Uh, on you know diversity in sci-fi and fantasy uh, last week, mm. even though by now it would have been a few weeks ago since we released it. Um, but after that conversation and rewatching this episode, just brought up for me um, for all the talk about Cylons and what Cylons want and who's a Cylon and who isn't. There's an awful mm-hmm. lot of not paying much attention to Athena. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, except like by the Cylons you meet like by like the the four or by everybody or...
0: I mean yeah. them well, like I would expect them to like bring up like oh yeah there is another Cylon in this fleet that everyone knows is a Cylon but mm-hmm. is like treating as not a Cylon and that's Athena and mm-hmm. um like we get glimpses of her like she's in the mm-hmm. um like uh in in the you know whatever the the room where lee has his shots right like mm-hmm. she's in the crowd like you see her mm-hmm. there not it's not even in an up close moment or anything but like just kind of she's there um mm-hmm. she's the one who brings lee to the deck mm-hmm. and like is a conspirator kind of in the surprise send off that Mm -hmm. they give him and and so i don't know like it's not like like they don't write her out of the episode or anything but but they don't acknowledge her in any way and i like like the so the analytical part of me is like okay is that an oversight like did they just like did the writers just like forget athena existed well that doesn't seem to be Mm -hmm. the case because again she's like in scenes but right okay so did they like forget Did they not, like, realize her significance in in Mm -hmm. some of these other conversations? Or is it like, this is genius. They're, like, throwing this (laughs) in to be like, look, here's a Cylon in plain sight that everyone knows is a Cylon, but nobody's thinking about Mm -hmm. the implications of her being a Cylon. And, like, Mm -hmm. this is important. This means something, but we don't know maybe what it is exactly as as viewers right. i mean maybe the writers had right. an idea right. but like like i i and i i honestly like of those options i honestly don't know which which is like the more which makes more sense whether right. they just sort of forgot about her or whether like they intentionally had her in right. there and and didn't bring her up in conversation because everyone else is like So involved with their own thing that, like, they just completely forget that there's this other Cylon who everybody knows about and is working out perfectly fine living with the humans.
1: Right. And
0: Despite all the shit that she's taken from Ty and the others.
1: (laughs) No. So two things come to mind. And I do think you're right that it could totally just be an oversight, like that's if you wanted to make that argument, I think you can make it persuasively, so i'm not definitively throwing my hat into any ring or whatever but yeah. um I mean so two kind of things uh, potentially with a little bit more intentionality leap to mind in terms of the the penultimate four, there is that sense of them certainly when Sam was going out to fight the Raiders and he was worried, um, there was a sense of wanting to avoid other Cylons because what if they know? Or what if they can sense? What if they can find out? So I could see from... I could see... I mean, maybe it would be nice if they talked about being curious about Athena and what she's like and what her experience is. That would help. But I could see them kind of intentionally avoiding her for that reason of maybe we should just keep a wide berth between us and not invite any sort of spidey senses or
0: anything
1: um so and then the other thing like and whether this could be intentional or not i have no idea but i wonder to what extent there's a comment to be made about like tokenism there of like Hmm. when you have that one person who is like the exception to the rule of how like a class of people are treated where like she, nobody thinks of her as a Cylon because well, she's the good Cylon. She's the Cylon that isn't like the other Cylons. She's the one that has assimilated into our culture, adopted our way of life and become so much like us that we don't even think of her as what she is. And she's accepted because she's exceptional and not like those other people that we are, that we hate or that we shun or that we fear or whatever. So, yeah, I feel like probably as a culture, they've got to the place where they don't really think of her that way anymore. Right. And that's not a very, like, enlightened point of view, but it's a very human and realistic point of view of, like, that, you know, where you have that kind of one person who, through their exceptionalism, can rise above their sort of status and join the ranks of, you know, the mighty or whatever. That, like, she ceases to even be anything other than just one of them.
0: Well, and Um, I... It seems strangest to me that the, um, the penultimate four don't consider her. Because they're, like, racking their brains like... Well, who else could be a Cylon? And maybe that's it. Maybe it's like, maybe they all think of her, but then it's like, well, we already know she's a Cylon, so like, maybe she's not an answer to the question. But it's like, you know,
1: right in terms of the final right, who, five, like, question. who's the last? I don't think she's really like on the table. So
0: like, they mentioned yeah. Baltar, and they're like, well, no, not that Baltar is a Cylon, but like, he knows about them, so let's go talk to him. Mm-hmm. And so like, right, yeah, like maybe there's mm-hmm. an aspect of like. It's not that they forget her, it's just that she's not the answer to their question that they have. So, like, it totally makes sense to not even include her sort of in that, you know, consideration or whatever. Um,
1: Right, and that's kind of two different questions, is why aren't the, the, the penultimate for thinking of her and talking about her more and considering her as a source of information... And then the other side of it is how does the wider culture of the fleet think of her Mm -hmm. and treat her? Um, And, you know, because the the four Cylons have much greater reason to be thinking about her actively than like everybody else Um, does.
0: So here's the other question that I had. I actually didn't, it didn't take me three watches to have this one, only two, I think. But, um... (laughs) Is around then thinking of the silo, and I, 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 know I've just like totally demolished like our plan. Um, <laughs> that's okay. We can when we get to the end of the series, we can come up with an episode called the plan. Oh wait, someone already did that. Um,
1: but then Ron Moore will come and tell us that we didn't have a plan to begin with. Yeah.
0: Well, we'll hold tight and pretend. Um, anyway, sorry. Lots of references. All the references. Um, No, but... uh, So, the other thing that makes me sort of sit back and and have pause is the Cylon... The the Cylons on the base star. you know, the representatives of the six non-boxed models. um, Yeah. Like, they have their vote. And then, (gasps) oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. Boomer, switch sides! Mm Mm-hmm does it those
1: fickle fickle does
0: does athena get a vote eight models like the, the, is athena too far away like does she is she not included it in, like is she in absentia or something like i like that this was i don't know this is or kind of like, me. like
1: shunned from Cylon yeah culture.
0: Like, like like uh like, like, like dwight shunning <laughs> on the office like you know, shun, reshun, like, you know, up and down. Like, right, right, right. With right, yeah, uh, yeah.
1: Selectively shunned, depending yeah. on if we need your vote or not. Right. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> like, depending on who you support, you're either shunned or not shunned at this particular right. moment in time. Um, right.
1: I could totally but yeah, see people like, doing that. Because, like,
0: um, wouldn't, wouldn't, like, well, so, and then this led me down the road of, like, wait, so does that mean that there are exactly, like, even numbers of every. Like, even numbers of copies of every model. So then, what about Caprica 6, who is also with the Galactica? Mm -hmm. In which... I was reminded of that, like, in the second or third watch, too. When I realized that, oh, wait, the number 6 arguing in the base star isn't Caprica 6. Because Caprica is currently locked up on Galactica. So, like, like there's, like, two boats right there that would, like, Mm -hmm. shift the balance back... To the others, if they were around to vote with their models, and like, yeah. So I guess again, like, I, is this like genius? Is it like, oh well, because like those two aren't around, like they could have won their vote and got you know gotten it their way, but Boomer switched sides. But then it's like, well, but then that throws a whole idea of like, like you're not voting by model. Like it's not it. It's not like there's six votes. It seems like there's. Mm-hmm thousands millions mm-hmm. i don't know billions of like mm-hmm. individual boats that are all counted up but like there's some like they all have exactly the same number and so it takes you know boomer switching sides to like upset that delicate balance but then mm-hmm. it's like well but what about like the base stars we've seen blow up and like the resurrection ship that mm-hmm. blew up like wouldn't that throw like numbers way out of whack like is it really like that mm-hmm. even? so i don't know i i guess like There's all these different roads you could go down. But, like, I guess we just have to Mm -hmm. believe that, like, this was, like, a situation of, like, 50% plus one, you know, won won the election. Despite the fact that there's, like, a couple more over here. And, man, we don't really know how many died, like, over here or, you know, whatever.
1: Right.
0: It just seems kind of weird. Or
1: or is it, like, or is it that there are six votes, but they're all, like... You within your model need like a unanimous vote one way or the other. So like all the sixes agree to a vote to vote one way and all the ones agree to vote this way. And Boomers it's her rejection of the 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 other eight models that are that's like offensive and throws you know. But like in terms of the numbers, yeah, I don't think it like makes a whole lot of
0: it, yeah, it's Sense. just, I mean, that's just the road my brain took me down, but, like... Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, but it is, like, it is, it is a little confusing, because at times it kind of, they seem to kind of play it both ways. So it's a little bit hard to tell, yeah. you know. And some of it is, again, like, is this intentional or not? Is it, like, trying to convey a way of thinking that is alien to human beings who are so individual um like you only only know yourself really you don't have access to anyone else's mind whereas like is this trying to convey some notion like the title six of one like it's a it's a paradox and they're individuals but they're also a hive mind of a model and then within those models they're supposed to be interrelation interrelatedness between the models of like what the Cylon is, is a concept. And so is it just trying to kind of convey something that you have to speak in paradoxical terms because it's just not anything that a human being can really like,
0: yeah, conceptualize.
1: I mean... Like a kind of Trinity idea of like, you're, you're separate, but you're also one. Um,
0: sure. I mean, that could be... I feel like that's what it's
1: going for. What it ever, like... I don't don't know if it ever fully achieves a real sense of it, but I feel like that's what it's aiming for. And, I mean, in terms of Athena and Caprica, that's totally how I see it, is they're... I mean, Athena's a traitor, so absolutely, Cavill and whoever supported him would have revoked her right. So I don't see that she gets a vote like at all.
0: Um, maybe, but I and mean maybe, and maybe, and so maybe this, Caprica this... is
1: seen that way as well for for helping Athena escape and everything.
0: I mean, but this this um, ultimately goes back to like the same same thing about like colonial law and procedure and politics. Like it's American ish in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But like we don't actually like we don't actually ever see like the Articles of Confederation or whatever, you know, you want to, whatever they're called, right? Or col- mm-hmm. colonization, not Confederation. That's a different thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, but like, like we never actually see those, So we don't know like how, even though there are like some aspects of colonial law that seem very similar to American, you know, legislation mm-hmm. and jurisprudence and all of that, like it's not exactly the same. So, We can only Mm -hmm. infer so much, as far as what we see in the show, and like you know, it's like Wittgenstein, like you know, "whereof you cannot speak, you know, therefore be silent." Like we don't actually know what else we can really infer from any of that stuff. Um, And 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 that's that's even more, yeah, that's even more so. I guess with with the Cylons, is that it's you can't. Like we know what they say, but like we don't really know what their yeah. procedures and votes are. Like <laughs> you know, is is being does do you have do Cylons have like a you know natural citizens' right to vote? You know, no matter what. But then like right. you know, right. felons in some states can't vote, and like right. you know, right. is that right? Is it wrong? Like different people have different answers, but like. And even some states have different answers, you know, to that question. So, right. like, yeah, I, I well, don't Well,
1: and, and, and I just... Uh, I feel in within this episode, we see Cavill, and not just... I mean, he's kind of the leader, but half of the Cylons advocate his position of lobotomizing raiders, which apparently do apparently have some sort of sentience if they're being lobotomized, and... Um, well, not just ins- that, but, like, have, like, like,
0: it's been growing. Like, it's been increasing.
1: Right, right, right. And, the, and the the Centurions apparently have these sort of inhibitor chips. So they're also sort of lobotomized in a way. So in terms of, like, Cavill absolutely will use voter suppression. You know, right. like, it, it, so certainly within the Cylons, like, okay, so there's a difference between how are they supposed to function and how does a healthy Cylon society govern itself and make decisions sure. and everything and how is it actually functioning like who's manipulating the, the voting polls and the booths and like you know suppressing whole you know uh wings of the population from yeah. having their opinions be heard so I, I and again those are two different questions like how is it supposed to function? It's not entirely clear, but we can see that it's not functioning that way. Like, it's being manipulated from within sure. by, by those Cylons. So, even if they legally are allowed a vote, I don't see any way that Athena and Caprica are contributing a vote because... Right. Certainly, Cavill and his cohorts yeah, you didn't, would you have didn't get,
0: stopped You didn't that. get back before the polls closed, so too bad, right. so sad. And
1: it's like, it's, it's not like they're studying abroad or something. Like, they, <laughs> right. they betrayed their... They couldn't like, send away for like, their absentee yeah. It's like, they literally, like, are, are considered traitors to their people. So, I don't see any way that they are allowed an opinion in what the Cylons do.
0: Yeah, well, I I mean, but again, like, there's that thing of, even if they're traitors, like, maybe if they were within a certain range or whatever, they still could have exerted, like, because again, like, if it all comes down to votes, like, maybe, you know, maybe other Cylons would be like, well, we shouldn't just go around, like, Taken away other sure. other cylon's votes just because of this thing that happened. Like, yes, these two right. particular cylons are bad, but then what if like you think that what I did is bad when it's not? And you know, like, right. like so you could even see like there being like support for like, okay, yes, you know, they might be traitors, but let's not just go taking away their votes just because of that. There, it's only one in right. six billion. It doesn't mean that much. Blah blah blah. You know, right. like. Until you have a situation like this. <laughs> um, right.
1: And then every vote counts. Right. Um, so, yeah. Well, and that's kind of the the debate, which stops being a debate in this episode between the Cylons. It's like, how do we treat other Cylons? Sure. And do we give them an opinion and a voice when, it's, when their opinion is one that we don't agree right. with?
0: Um, well, and so this goes yeah. back to, I mean... Right. Six, six was the first Cylon on Cylon violence. Right. And like. Right. Still going at it. Like, like she's not. Yeah. You know, letting up anytime soon, it seems. Um, right.
1: No, the sixes are are rebellious, uh, are a rebellious
0: bunch. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So, yeah, we see here that like, OK, uh, you know, oh, you can't do anything without a vote. No, we can't do anything with one you know, very, very quippy with it, but, like...
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of... I mean, I don't know if it's true, because, like, something was getting done, but, like, there's also that sense of, like, it's not the thing that she wants, and so, like, is this the... Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the rebellious side, like you said. Um, right. When, and
1: whereas, like, you know, Boomer and Athena, like, the Apes, are that kind of swing vote like you never know which way they're gonna go they just kind of follow their own the beat of their own drum kind of thing whereas like but it's not normal it's like athena runs away or boomer votes a different way it's not that kind of open we're gonna stage a coup kind of thing like the sixes are more like the revolutionary i guess um in in all these different scenarios um yeah so yeah, and I mean we kind of talked before we were recording um that they don't actually mention um the six's name, but they do eventually, so we're just gonna call her Natalie. Right. Um for clarity's sake. And we do get a lot more with her and I she's one of uh my favorite like you know, six models. So Yeah, incarnations
0: um, or whatever. Yeah.
1: yeah, so um it's kind of nice to see her popping up mm-hmm. and uh, starting to sort of make, make her waves.
0: Sure. Um, all right. So.
1: Hey, so much for our plan.
0: Yeah. Um.
1: What were we talking about? We were talking about yeah, Starbucks. We
0: were talking, yeah, but I mean, we, I don't, I don't know. I was going to try to retrace. I don't remember how we got into where we got. So going back to Starbuck. Um. Yeah. So she gets captured, taken to a cell, and Adama comes in right, like angry Papa Adama comes in mm-hmm. um and he you know very upsettedly angrily, i guess, um upsettedly, I don't know that's not a word um <laughs> yeah, like he's. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm trying to... Like, I keep scrolling past my notes here because my computer's not playing nicely. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's he comes in pretty angry, and I mean, Starbuck does her thing. Like, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of whiny Starbuck. Um, mm, yeah. Like...
1: Yeah, this... This section is particularly whiny.
0: This section of the story. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but I guess, like, one thing I guess, I don't know, in favor of the way she's portrayed here, like, like, I do feel like because it's so different from, like, her normal character, like, like, you get that, like, this is extreme, right? Like, this isn't the way um, that Starbucks normally acts and it's weird and annoying, but like, that's kind of mm-hmm. the point, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that she, like she's trying to convince these other people and she like is literally at her wits end and has no other way of really figuring out how she can even, how, mm-hmm. how she can even, um, <laughs> so to speak, right? Like, <laughs> right. um, <laughs> and so, like, like she says to him, like I'm losing it. The ringing, the way to Earth, it's getting weaker. Which is interesting. Like the ringing is the way to Earth. Like the way I read that, right? Like, like mm-hmm. that. There's some sort of like signal or or noise or whatever that like is you know, I don't know, like a transponder or something in her head that's, like, helping signal, like, over here, over here. Mm -hmm. And that's getting weaker. Um, um, Oh, actually, is this where... uh, No, this is where she's on the floor, actually. She's saying that, right? Like, if if we keep jumping, it'll be gone. So then Adama comes in, and he's like, you know, you're too stupid to figure out that you screwed over the one ally you had, which... I don't know that I would have called Roslyn like, an ally, <laughs> like, before now. Like, this is, like, a little bit of retconning on Adama's part. Like, right, like right. I don't think...
1: Right. Rosalind was predisposed to not want to listen, even before Starbuck went with at her with a gun. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like, like, this isn't like, oh, Roslyn was on the verge of, like, giving you everything you wanted. Like, at right. best... Roslyn was like, I'm not going to throw you out in airlock yet. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the, that, I don't yes. call that an yeah. ally per se. Um, right.
1: No, this is a little bit of Adama revised history. I feel like this is a little bit of Adama whininess about, like, like being torn between. These two people that he cares about and wants to believe, and yeah. not really knowing which way to go, and so he's kind of pissed that they are not agreeing with right. each other because so that means he has to make the decision. Right,
0: well, <laughs> right. Like it's, I mean, like the playground example is like when you have two friends who are like worst enemies and like just can't get Fighting. along. Fighting. Like, other. come on,
1: like, guys. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Why? Yeah. Why can't we all just get along or whatever? And so. Right. Right. Um, Yeah, I mean like and in that instance like I mean you know in a way he's kind of like right that she like if she had a chance I guess like to make her case then it would have been well to do it easily but then like on the other hand like Adama goes back later, and, like, when they when they jump again, and he sees her, like, screaming and, like, yelling, mm-hmm. like, go back, go back. And, like, you know, again, there's, there's this, like, well, you know, it convinces him to do something. Like, he doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. believe that she's right, but, like, he mm-hmm. at least knows she's not faking it at that point. And I think that's a large part of, like, Why he ends up giving uh, Starbuck and Hilo and, you know, them a transport at the end uh, is, is like, okay, like, maybe I'm not, you know, I mean, it's not like Starbuck doesn't do wild and crazy and even like borderline deadly things like in the past. Like, is holding a gun to the president's head and then, like, handing it to her and telling her to shoot her really that wild of a thing in all of, like, Starbucks history. Like, considering... But, like, like considering just a few episodes, we saw, like, Adama, like, drinking and crying over, like, the file in which, like, showed all of her, um... accomplishments, shall we say? Right. Um... Right.
1: Right. Like, remember that time she decked Ty in the card room and, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, So, like... Right. right.
1: (laughs) Well, and there... So, I agree with you about, like, this is extreme even for her and, like, it, it is, like, okay, she at least acts... um, Is loud and whiny enough to, like, make, like, the squeaky wheel gets greased, like... Just make as much noise as you can, and maybe something will happen um but there is that line about uh Ty saying she's crazy as a latrine rat, if anything, she's more like Starbuck than ever, so right. like in a, like okay, maybe this is a a a few notches above, but like it's not that far out of the normal range of Starbuck you know uh, Belligerent behavior and everything.
0: Yeah. Um.
1: But yeah, I mean, I and I guess at the end of the day, that is what motivates Adama is like kind of to shut her up a little bit. Like, and I don't even mean that in like totally a bad way, but like, like, whatever this situation is, whatever it is that's going on with her, this can't continue. Right. So something has to be done. And um. he's not gonna throw her out an airlock. And- So, which is, and it's not that he totally doesn't believe her either. It's this kind of thing of, if you say this is what it is, then take a ship and see what happens. Um, And then he can kind of keep both parties separate from each other and appeased. And, and if we're looking for earth, we might as well have a couple different, sure, you know, routes going because who knows what's going to turn out to be the real thing. Right.
0: Um, and as ever, Hilo, Mr. Oddjob, gets the, uh, you know, gets yeah. the job of babysitting Starbuck.
1: Right. Baby- yes.
0: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, right. Whatever. Mayor of Dogville to, you know, babysitting yeah. Starbuck in a, you know, waste yeah. recycling plant.
1: Yes, yeah, sounds like a great time. Um the lucky people that get picked for this mission. <laughs> so yeah. Right. So Hilo's going along as the XO, I guess, like her kind of right hand.
0: Right. Which he's done as well. <laughs> yes. A little bit of Yes, he has
1: experience. He has like on his C V like of, oh I was this, XO for a, a little while. Bit of
0: that. Um Yeah. All right, we kind of skipped over Lee, but so let's just talk about Lee in general, and we can talk about him and Starbuck together, because maybe it makes more yeah. sense with his line than hers. But, um, I mean, Lee, this episode is Lee saying goodbye to everyone, like, when we boil yeah. it down, right? Like, so you get, like, him drinking in the pilot's lounge or whatever, um, I don't even know if it's, if it's the pilot's sign. It's not like the main cafeteria, right? Like, it's like a special, like, officer's rec room or something. Right. Like,
1: yeah, it's like a smaller room yeah. or
0: something. So it's um, like, like,
1: like one of the card rooms so actually, or something, like where they like, play uh, whatever that card game is that I can't think of the name.
0: Pyramids? No, Pyramid is the ball game. Not right? Pyramid. The other one. Um, ah, whatever. Anyway, before we get to that, speaking of card games, we got to talk about strip poker, and hapless Hilo, or hapless, uh, sorry, Hot Dog, once again, sitting there in his skivvies, like... Right, yes. <laughs> But, I mean, they, they, there's the, you know, sensational, you know, uh, oh, you know, hot woman taking off her, you know, top, mm-hmm. whatever. um, But then, like, when you pan back, and then, like, you see Hot Dog sitting there, like, right. again, like... Briefest yeah. of moments, just showing that he is just not a lucky guy. Right. Um, no. Just always cracks no. me up or, when we.
1: Or is it like in? Uh, is it like in Friends when they all just gang up on Joey? So like whoever gets it, they all just say the same person. Like, you know. Yeah. Give me your sock. Give me this. Whatever. So like. Yeah. I mean, is he like the target I... of
0: some? Maybe, right. but I get the sense that, like, given, given like, all of the, like, there should, like, I feel like you could just write a paper on, like, Hapless Hilo, and, like, all of the examples, because, like... At, hot dog. Hot, sorry, I keep doing that. Hop, hapless Hot Dog. Of, like, every scene where, like, you you right. just see him, he there's, like... He gets the
1: like, short end of the stick. Something is yeah. wrong.
0: He's got a rash, or, like, he's, you know... Yeah. Clipping someone's wing, or, you know... <laughs> and right, getting, right getting things handed to him in a card game and he's losing his clothes. Like, like it's mm-hmm. literally, like, every scene that he just does not... Mm-hmm. And, I, I mean, that's got to be... That's got to be intentional. Like, that's just got to be, like, something written yeah. into his character. Yeah. Um, right.
1: And yet he's still alive. And, and,
0: and, like... But, like, some of them are subtly. Because, like, it's... Like, they don't linger on that game a long time. Like, they kind of just pan around. Yeah. And, like, you could totally right. watch that episode and never notice... That's like right. hot dog sitting there, like pretty much naked.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, I w- and I wonder how much like you have to wonder how much that's like James Edward Almost's idea to like make him be like the butt of all the jokes. Sure. <laughs>
1: yeah. Right or or, uh, what's hot dogs real? I can't think of the almost junior. Yeah. Um, like is he like? You know, again, we talk about that that almost improvisational uh, thing. Is it just him going like, "Oh, in this scene, I think it'll be funny if I yeah. take off my clothes, and then people will know I'm losing the right. game." Like, just that thing of, "Well, you're in a scene; you don't have any lines. What are you gonna do to like make it interesting? You know, sure. do something in the background that is kind of most people won't notice, but if you do, it'll be really funny." Um, so. Yeah. I mean, we kind of talked about like the rash felt like an improv gone wrong. So this (laughs) is maybe like an improv done right, you know, that like is kind of a little bit subtle and in the background and it doesn't draw huge attention. But if you see it, it's it's a funny little moment.
0: Yeah. Um, Um,
1: Yeah. And despite his his ill luck, he's alive and kicking. So sure. He manages to bumble from one. Uh, mishap to the next,
0: so. Um, yeah, I mean, anyway, like, not to make too much of it, and, and I probably already have, but. Uh...
1: I'm actually one last thought. It it's definitely more comic relief with him, but in some ways, that kind of also reminds me of racetrack a little bit. Of like, she's less of a kind of doofus than he is. Like, she seems more like she's presented as a more competent fighter, but then at the same time, I feel like whenever she's out in the field, something's always going wrong. Like, something's exploding, or she's getting shot at, or crashing, or whatever. Um, So it is, like, a thing of, like, certain of these, like, more tertiary, like, pilot characters. Sure. You just get the sense of them going from, like, one disaster to the next. Um, So... But his is a little bit more, like, comic relief, I
0: guess. Yeah. Um, okay, so back to Lee. <laughs> back to Lee. Um, I mean, you know, this like this seems like it's one of those tradition things, right? Like, for any pilot or maybe officer or whatever who doesn't go down in a blaze of glory, um, like, they send them off like in this manner like that's that's the feel anyway um Mm -hmm. I don't know that there's much to say about it other than just like he drinks a bunch of shots and like sort of has these you know little Mm -hmm. homages and again I like I don't know how much of that is like procedural like do they always toast Mm. like the men and women of Galactica first and then like you know the commander and then you know their loved ones and then people who aren't there anymore and you know that kind of thing um you know maybe right
1: or is this just lee kind of making it up on the
0: cut yeah like like it definitely seems part ritual but yeah maybe there's a extemporaneous bit that he's sort of adding to it or whatever um so yeah so you know him saying goodbye um so then, of course, he goes mm-hmm. from there to visit Starbuck in the Slammer. And mm-hmm. um, they slam their lips together. Um, mm-hmm. Just a little bit. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know how much, like, their conversation even matters. It's typical Lee and Starbuck kind of fair. Mm-hmm. Um, I, right, kind of both
1: confirms and, like, consummates their feelings, but also, like, keeps them separate, too. Like, it still has that will-they-won't-they quality of, like, well, they clearly still care, but, you know, he's going off over here and she's going off over there. Um, yeah. So they're kind of never really
0: together. Um the, the only real thing, like, out of their conversation that I picked out was, like, his comments about feeling like he understands what it means to have a destiny. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and and the fact that, like, whether or not they can explain it to anyone else doesn't matter. Like, he he knows what he Mm -hmm. needs to do, and he's just going to go do it. And that's kind of Mm -hmm. how she feels, except that she can't really, you know, do that (laughs) because she's locked up
1: yes (laughs) right she's in jail yeah
0: um but like
1: right so that gets in the way of destiny a little bit
0: yeah yeah right um but like that's you know whether or not she can explain it like she she still is sort of fighting for that you know right what she knows she needs to do and and needs to give somehow convince others to do right um Right,
1: and everybody wants rational arguments and reasons why until it's your own thing. But then, well, I just feel it and I know it. Um, So, right, and until you're in that position, it's a hard thing to kind of empathize with in somebody else.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, so then they kiss, he leaves, and goes... Uh, to the hangar deck, um, where they've assembled all, or at least a good portion of like the crew, like you know, may, I guess anyone who maybe isn't on like duty in the CIC or whatever, but right. like, you know, most of the crew is assembled there, and and you get Ty sort of announcing him, and you know, the the more cheer, cheerful and tearful goodbyes that mm-hmm. he says to like everyone um you know you get like his last like sort of thing there with Dee and the joke mm-hmm. about her getting the house and which is kind of weird mm-hmm. and awkward and she just kinda of smiles and like, Yeah okay. Um you're
1: just like okay get yeah. out of here. Um, <laughs> yeah. I wish like she I mean as always I wish she maybe had a little more to say in that moment. Um yeah. you know. I guess at least they acknowledge that there is a history there, but it is a bit awkward. I agree with you.
0: Um, and she gives him like, you know, like his pen or whatever. in, uh, you know, like a frame and whatnot. Um, yeah. And then that's Lee. Like he's done. Like, I don't, I don't know how much more there is to say about it. It's just like an episode of him saying goodbye like, in between mm-hmm. a bunch of other stuff. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, yep. But going on, like, again, I think that Destiny bit is maybe the most important. Like, going on to to something that he feels like he needs to do. Um,
1: well, and so the the only last kind of thing is it, Starbuck kind of quips about, like, oh, you're Zarek's wingman. But it, it is kind of interesting that, like... If this is Lee's destiny, like not that he's working for Zarek directly, but like that they've been linked from the beginning of like, you know, sure, it, 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 since Zarek showed up was, anyway, yeah, like since Zarek showed up and, and Lee was sympathetic to some of his ideology, right. if not his methods, you know. Um, and so it is kind of interesting that, like, from the beginning, Lee's been framed as having kind of an active political mind I guess um and so now like this transition away from being one of the fighter pilots to going over to the quorum is kind of a a notable move Mm. for him um sure so and you know I think set up from like you can see why some of it feels a little weird of like Oh really? There's a vacant seat, and they want Lee to have it. Like that's convenient. Yeah. Dare I say contrived nature? But also, I do think that they've had that aspect of Lee be president from the beginning of the series. Right. So it's not quite as much of a stretch as you might imagine. And like, really, with fifty thousand people left, how many experienced politicians are there really? Like, so it's kind of like.
0: Well, it's like lawyers. Why like, should
1: Nippy Lee, Really? Right. That's
0: why. Uh, uh,
1: like he's interested. He's willing. There's a vacancy. You know, right. Rosalind can work with him. Zarek can work with him. He has he has the the reputation of heroism that comes from being sure a, a commander and a pilot. So he's a natural he, choice. So actually, I don't think it's that much. He's the
0: John McCain kind of of. Like I mean, okay. like kind of, yeah. right. you know. I I right. wasn't even saying that like, well, cross will cross
1: those party lines and 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 he
0: has the war background yeah, right. and and right whatever um
1: right everybody respects him from kind of all different corners of the fleet and everything so
0: so uh yeah um all right man. We are over time and we're like, yeah, (laughs) not even, yeah, okay. Well,
1: we kind of talked about the silence, we did talk about silence, so yeah,
0: maybe we don't need to talk about the voting stuff there. But before we even get there, quickly run through like the penultimate four. I mean, I don't know that there's time to say they they kind of are like, they're still fretting about who the fifth, uh, you know. Right. the, so the fifth their super of the final five might be. um and yeah. very sort of crassly ty suggests that tori uh quote unquote befriends baltar um to see mm-hmm. what he might know uh you don't have to get on your back for him oh gee thanks um and then she yeah. does but that's her choice so you know that's all fine um sure Ty said she didn't have to uh Sure. So, um, it's
1: good to have his, yeah, uh, his clarification right, right, on that
0: right. point. I'm um, glad to, glad right
1: th- and, and I think like, it's not quite clear. I mean, obviously she kind of, uh, is, uh, rolls her eyes at the crassness of the way he puts it, but to me, I'm not even quite sure to what extent her sleeping with Baltar is, a premeditated seduction or not, you know?
0: I don't like get the sense that it's premeditated at all. I kind of get the sense that it's more like she, I mean, not that even she's totally against it, but I I don't get the sense that like she goes in there thinking like, all right, I'm going to sleep with him. But more like after having a conversation with him and kind of being, kind of observing him and being like, I, I actually think she's, more genuine in sort of what she says about like watching the other you know women and how they sort of respond to him and maybe maybe it's mm-hmm. more not that like she sleeps with them out of pure curiosity or anything but like maybe there is like an element of that like what is it that people see in him and and sort of mm-hmm. kind of is willing to explore what that means mm-hmm. and who he is and whatever right. and it's kind of surprised at like her own actions in a way because and and i mean Mm -hmm. you know there's the crying and she says she always cries and like it is what it Mm -hmm. is but there's also like his very sort of like empathetic yet ignorant Mm -hmm. response (laughs) like oh i don't think you're a cylon like it just shows that you have a you know uh depth of of feeling or whatever it is that he says right right um, but also,
1: like, but also I feel like shows kind of maybe a sensitivity that you might not expect. Yeah. I mean, I feel like maybe we would by this point to know, like, he is kind of at times empathetic in his own way when he's not completely blinkered to whatever it is. But, you know, but maybe his reputation as this kind of corrupt, you know, rakish playboy. Yeah maybe if if she were to cry you wouldn't know how he would react to that and say either humiliate her or make fun of her or get out or whatever but like um but the fact that he kind of responds with oh no it's good it shows you have this this abundance of feeling and like i think he surprises her in that moment of yeah. like oh like he's actually maybe is more sensitive than she might have thought and has you know surprisingly again not to us but for her surprisingly open-minded attitudes towards Cylons.
0: Surprisingly.
1: Yes (laughs) um that's right. (laughs) Sorry. Um but that idea that like oh uh, that being a Cylon would mean I wouldn't uh have these emotions and that he's kind of saying, well, no, I've spent time with the Cylons and, you know, they have all of these emotions and they're so human and emotional in the way that they relate to each other. For Tori kind of dealing with this revelation of what she is to have someone tell her that in the context of a culture that says you're a Cylon, you're evil, throw you out the airlock.
0: Yeah.
1: Um is like he sounds like this enlightened, liberal, open minded kind of person mm-hmm. compared to that. Um, sure.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, that you're, you're blessed is what he says because of all of the, the emotions that she has. Right. Um,
0: so, which so. again, like there's the irony there of he saying that because he's saying she, he thinks she's not a Cylon even though Cylons Mm -hmm. can feel that, you know, he believes Mm -hmm. they can be. And of course, I mean, we know now that she is a Cylon and yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know that there's much more to harp on there, but um, there is that, that sort of like the irony and and ignorance of his own sort of statements, like kind of mean even more in a way, (laughs) like, because he's not like just saying it to like, impress her or whatever, necessarily.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. No, he seems to believe what he's saying. I mean, he even says later about, you know, one God, and I'm tired of keeping that in. Like you do get the sense of he's confessing something he hasn't really ever said, but genuinely does believe that he has to hide this, this growing feeling of maybe there is one God that I should be believing to who's been guiding my path all this time. Mm. Um, I don't know what else, if there's other things about Tori and Baltar, I can't let Baltar go without talking about headbolt. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> well, no, so when you were talking earlier about, um, sort of the fourth wall and, like, audience participation or whatever, or however we talk about it, um, like, this, I feel like the, especially after Tori leaves and, like, they're sitting on the same side, like mm-hmm. this is Baltar and head Baltar sort of addressing the crowd like through mm. each other, kind of in a way is sort of how I see mm-hmm. that anyway, but right. um I don't know what what are your thoughts there?
1: Yeah, I mean, beyond just it being a kind of brilliant comedic idea to put him in this scene with himself um yeah i i it it feels to me like a deliberate screwing with the audience trying to figure out what the head characters mm-hmm. are you know like this is the kind of okay you think you're starting to get a handle on these things and you have your theories and you're figuring all this out and let's just throw a little wrench in there and see what happens you know if, all right we're gonna start swapping and mixing and matching a bit so what and do with that what you will is that Baltar still going crazy and he's going crazier. So now he's hallucinating himself. Although we've seen head Baltar appear to Caprica six. So if that's the case, how do you reconcile that? And it's just kind of, you know, I think deliberately muddling up the, the theories that people might have started to construct by this point mm-hmm. instead of having fun with them. Um, Sure. But yeah, I think it's fantastic. <laughs> um, yeah, and his conversations with himself about, you know, she's she's special and, and you, you feel it, fragile. Fragile, yes, I sense that too. You're very observant. That like, it's him, but it's not him. They have the same observations, but then there's also this clear difference between Poised together, omniscient head Gaius, and then the completely frazzled, true Gaius that we know, mm-hmm. who has no idea what's going on, and um, it's just a good, a good match, I think.
0: Sure. Um. Yeah. All right. So. We did already talk a lot about the other Cylons on the Mm -hmm. um, base star. I guess, I I mean, thinking about it, I don't know that we do actually have a ton to say more. Like, I mean, we talked about the boating stuff. um, And the result of that is, of course, that Natalie um, and non-Boomer 8, right? And Mm -hmm. uh, Leoben Come back and are like, mm-hmm. all right, well, if you can lobotomize the Raiders, then we can, like, take these inhibitors off the Centurions. And they, oh, oops, we kind of showed them what you're doing to the Raiders, and now they're going to kill you. <laughs> um, and now
1: they're really mad. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So. Right. Um, which also, like, wasn't it Cavill, who, like, has already sort of expressed his dislike for dying, was that was that him where he yeah. was like
1: Yeah yeah. hmm
0: He keeps getting like the headaches. It gets and, like, more
1: painful every time. The after yes.
0: effects or yeah. Whatever. Um so like like knowing that like it's even a little bit worse, right? Um mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it was after it was when he died, um like when they were gonna execute like Rosalind and them, right? Like Yeah. Um
1: Right, and they kind of leave into die slowly right um yeah and he says like it it it's not that's the kind of last straw for New Caprica is it's not worth it because we keep getting killed and it gets more and more excruciating each time so staying here is not you know worth the the trouble of that
0: mm-hmm.
1: um so yeah it is particularly uh violent i mean it's a violent in how they get rid of them, but also they know the effect of the, the downloading process and everything. Right. Um, and I mean, I guess the other thing worth pointing out is this. Um, the reason that they're doing the the lobotomies in the first place is this, what the Raiders sensed, which is, you know, the calling back to the the moment of it scanning Sam. So they have this they are doing the thing that the final five are worried about which is noticing that the final five are around
0: that um and so there's that but i feel like it goes back even further to like scar right like mm -hmm. like you you got that sense of every time like
1: agency and personality well and and
0: and every time that they were dying and being reborn they were learning a little more learning a little more. And so eventually sure. that aspect too kind of contributed to their evolution right. or, or whatever you call it. Um,
1: right. So they're evolving. Yeah. Um,
0: so, yeah, I don't, I mean, I, that's not to disagree with you just to sort of say, I think there's an even longer sort of history mm-hmm. there. Um, so, yeah. Right. Uh. Right.
1: Right. And so it splits them into these two camps of, um, do we kind of dumb the Raiders down to prevent ourselves finding out this sort of forbidden knowledge or do we go with Natalie's plan, which is to embrace what the Raiders are telling them, what the hybrid is telling them and search for, uh, this forbidden knowledge that the final five represent.
0: Hmm. Um, yeah. So we've got Starbuck in, uh, and Hilo going off on their mission. Um, mm-hmm. We've got, uh, you know, we've got um, the Cylons kind of, in open rebellion against each other, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. it, right? A little civil yeah, war. Yeah, civil war. I guess is a better. The
1: Cylon. Yeah.
0: Term. Um, and then, uh, yeah. I mean, we'll see kind of what happens with the rest of the galactic crew. Lee's gone doing his own thing. Um, Rosalind has yet to learn that Starbuck is gone, so that'll be mm. uh, next thing she finds out, I'm sure. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: I I feel like we kind of skipped over Adama and Rosalind a little bit.
0: Um, Sure.
1: But we're way over time, so I don't know if there's anything else. I mean, I really like that scene between them. Like, there's a lot of really kind of painful name-calling and, you know, uh, kind of each of them pointing out each other's worst fears and flaws, and they get kind of—they play a little dirty. Um, But— Yes, yeah, so I don't know. Maybe we kind of covered it earlier that, uh, you know, Adama's thing to her about what if your, your death is as meaningless as everyone else's. And then to top it off, she's pulling out like giant clumps of hair. So the death is very mm-hmm. imminent. Um, so they're kind of hitting each other in their, their sorest spots. Sure. I think.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, definitely. And it's, you know, there's an element of that, you know, you only hurt the ones you love aspect to it too. Right. Like, right. Right. And they
1: know each other so well to be able to point out the, the worst thing about each other.
0: Yeah. No, you're, you're right. We did kind of skim over that. So I'm glad you thought of that. Um, all right, but we should probably move on. Because we wanted yes. to not go real late tonight. <laughs>
1: sure. And it's not like this Buffy episode is, like, interesting or anything.
0: I feel like we um, might talk a little long on this one, too. Just going to yeah, out there. All
1: right. Well, that's okay. Um, all right. You also had production notes for this episode of
0: uh, Buffy. I did. So we... Um, Try to, you know, generally try to mention when we've got a new writer. And we do. And this writer is Drew Goddard. Uh, his first mm. his first episode for Buffy. Nay, his first episode of TV ever. Um, <laughs> you know, for what it's worth. So, of course, we know him. Uh, he goes on to be a frequent collaborator with J.J. Abrams on Alias mm-hmm. and Lost. Um, and then... Another collaborator, again, with Whedon in other uh, shows. Um, he, well, he also writes for Angel, actually, before he goes and does those other things. Um, but, of course, mm-hmm. there's Cabin in the Woods, um, which he co-writes right. with Joss. Um, and uh, he also... So not really... Joss didn't have a direct hand in this, but I I believe there was some, like... Crossover while he was doing some of the Marvel stuff, um, Drew Goddard uh, created and was originally going to um, direct the first season and and be the showrunner for the first season of Daredevil. Um, but he ended up, I, I think he like maybe wrote part of it or at least created like the story and and is like credited as the mm-hmm. creator of the show for that. Um, but of course, there's a lot of Whedon alum who have gone on for that show. And, and of course, uh, most notably, perhaps, um, Steven S. DeKnight, who was the showrunner and of course wrote for both Buffy and, uh, Angel as well. So, um, lots of sort of collaborative goodness, uh, going on all around there. Um, but yeah, just kind of interesting that this is his first, uh, episode and actually, so the way we sort of structured, um, this too, is, is we're going to talk about the flashbacks first, and and the first scene he wrote is of course the one in Swedish where he's uh, you know, having, having them talk uh, in this foreign language um, so, again just sort of on a production note side apparently, um, a few interesting things with this. One, it was um, the scene was written in like sort of phonetic Swedish, so you know I guess it was translated and, and then someone like made it phonetic for, uh, Emma and Abraham, um, the guy who plays mm-hmm. Olaf, uh, to, um, you know, to speak. And they're like, you don't have to really memorize it real well. Cause the plan was they would kind of be speaking in this like phonetic Swedish in the background, but then, um, they were going to overdub it in like really bad English. Um, Mm -hmm. so like, they were like, you don't have to like really memorize it that well, but they said that both the actors like ended up just going above and beyond. And like, I can't vouch for the pronunciation I have seen on forums Mm -hmm. where like people who actually speak Swedish are like, yeah, you can't understand like every one in five words, (laughs) but to someone who speaks English and knows, you know, is completely ignorant as to like actual Swedish language, it sounds pretty good. Yeah. And that's kind of where they sure. ended up with like, hey, this actually sounds pretty good. So we're just going to put in some subtitles. Um and that's kind of uh in the commentary Drew Goddard says like like this episode a lot of the structure and like things that happen in this episode are basically just him not knowing any better. <laughs> and so like like you know, you've got, like, all of these different flashback scenes, which I mean, we've had before with, like, Angel's story and Spike's story, you know, flashbacks to, like, different, Mm -hmm. like, the Boxer Rebellion is one, and, and, like, different periods in their lives. But, like, this from, I guess, a production standpoint is, like, like, you have the Viking village, and then you have, like, the Russian Revolution of 1905, and then you have, like, Xander and Anya's apartment which at this point like nobody was maybe expecting to still be using so like I don't know if they had Mm -hmm. to like recreate that or whatever so like um, just kind of these you know kind of the bigness of his vision for the episode and um, kind of saying that like even him writing this is sort of a not a fluke maybe because like he was a staff writer and was sort of there but like he's basically like yeah, literally everyone else like was off writing for Joss's other shows or like doing stuff with like, the other. so he's like, I was like the only one in the writer's room. And, and I guess even a lot of the plot points were, he, he said um, like him and Joss like had dinner at like Joss's house one night. And it was like, that's where they worked it out. But he's like, yeah, like even like a lot of the major stuff was like, you know, I would get up and go to the bath. this is Drew, like, you know, I would get up and go to the bathroom, and then, like, come back, and Joss would, would be like, how about we have a bunch of frat boys who are dead, and Anya's just sitting there, like, in the middle of them, <laughs> like, yeah. and it's like, oh, okay, Yeah. where do we go from there, and Joss was like, uh, right, we gotta figure that out, but, like, let's just start with that, <laughs> And and so, yeah, like, I mean, it, you know, as, as happens, like, it's collaborative, but, like, was kind of his first sort of, like, being thrown into the deep end of the TV mm-hmm. episode writing business. Um, right, right. But, uh, so yeah, so maybe um, we can start with that first flashback that uh, he wrote and, and which is the first of the flashbacks that we see. Um,
1: yeah, well, and just kind of before we, like, since you're talking like big picture kind of, um, I didn't know that about the, uh, the way that it came to be and it being kind of a bit haphazard in the way it was written and everything. Um, but I feel like that definitely, some impression of that came across to me and not not really even in a bad way. Like, I think you asked me before, like like I said, this is a weird episode. And you were like, good weird? And I was like, maybe? (laughs) Like, it took me a a, a watch or two to say, like, it is very, it has like a randomness to it, which I think works. And I like, I think, so now having seen it twice, like, I think it does work. And it, it contributes, I think, maybe without, it sounds like without him intending this, you get this sense of you're, pulled between different types of scenes that are just not necessarily designed to go together other than, other than contributing to the story of Anya. Um, But in terms of like tone and style, it like flings you between all these different things of like, you know, kind of the silly, like Swedish movie parody of the beginning to the kind of horrific, The carnage of her massacre in the frat house, you know, and then you know, and then it's kind of calling back to the musical episode, but just for that one scene which then like cuts in the middle of a line to her like dead and pinned to the wall, like you just there's for me like certainly the first time there was this kind of like emotional whiplash of like what the heck is going on in this story but I think it kind of works because it keeps you very much on your toes. Of anything could happen this episode, and it kind of—it yeah. it wouldn't surprise me, or everything surprised me. You know, I didn't know the car was sort of changing direction so quickly. I didn't know where it was going. Sure, um, and so I think he had some kind of beginner's luck here. Of it, he, sometimes you do get that, like with people early in their career of like, oh, you haven't learned yet the limitations. Mm-hmm. So you don't know like you haven't learned not to do this kind of thing right. yet. But like but then there's like just a kind of boldness that comes with not knowing that you're not supposed to do these things that like actually I feel like can be a benefit mm-hmm. of saying, I'm just going for it. Sure. And and sometimes that can be a little all over the place, but I in this case I feel like it really works. Because It's not just like a random episode. It feels like very... Clearly a very central turning point for Anya. And so... There's something fitting about the fact that... This could really go in any direction. And... You're not sure until the end... What that could Mm. be. So...
0: Yeah. And... Yeah. So... I wouldn't so, just
1: So stay- good good job, Drew Goddard, like, you know, experimenting and trying things. And I think it works really well so, in a weird kind of so way. So just
0: keeping on sort of the big picture aspect of that, then, like, I mean, there's definitely a sense, I mean, again, like, we have seen, like, episodes like, and and you know me, like, I'm always a fan of sort of the not sort of traditional ABC mm-hmm. plot line development. So, like, I do enjoy mm-hmm. this episode, like, mm-hmm. from that perspective. But it's, def- yeah, it's not, like, an episode of Firefly, like, Out of Gas by Tim Minear. Or even some of, like, the stuff he wrote in Angel Flashbacks about Angel and Darla and some of that, like, definitely flows a lot more smoothly than... It's
1: It's very meticulously right, crafted. like to, like, it's, yeah, it's yeah.
0: interleaved and, and interleaved well. And you're right, like, a lot right. of this is... Like, it ver- they very much clash together. Um, right. Most notably, like you said, like, yeah, she's singing in a wedding dress and then suddenly pinned to the wall, like presumably dead right and right like i mean that's some of that's intentional but i think there's a lot of it that isn't and 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 i think you're right like there is a sort of like they just kind of threw down a bunch of cards and they kind of happen to line up pretty well like you know they're like Mm -hmm. in juxtaposition a lot of this does work well to see um yeah you know kind of the old ancient Swedish, you know, village versus, you know, the, um, you know, (laughs) the, the Russian revolution where she's like communist, which goes completely against sort of what we know of Anya, you know, in the present timeline Mm -hmm. and, and all of that. And, but I think for someone as like odd, odd and straightforward as Tanya kind of, or Tanya, Anya kind of is, uh, like, that's part of it, too. Like, like the episode is quirky yeah. and weird, kind of like she is. Um, and I yeah. would say, like, two things. Um, Goddard ad- admits, like, he's an Anya fan. Which, so, hey, mm-hmm. good on him, because I am, too. But, like...
1: Yeah.
0: Also, he... Like, he didn't just come in to, like... Like, this is his first episode, in season seven, right? So, like... Mm-hmm but he comes in like knowing knowing his stuff like he's a fan of right. buffy writing for the show and and right. he's a geek and like loves the depth of mythology so i mean not to jump ahead but just like as an example like in in the scene where you have the scoobies arguing about whether or not to kill anya you know Mm -hmm. You have Buffy reminding everyone that way back in season two, which is nothing that a season as someone who's a fresh writer in season seven would necessarily know to write about. Like Drew Goddard's, like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Remember when Buffy killed Angel? And like that was him that like Mm -hmm. he says in the commentary, that was like his realization Mm -hmm. of like why Buffy can trump anything anyone else says because she killed Angel. But it doesn't end there. He knows the story well enough to remember that Xander lied about what Willow says.
1: I've been waiting for that to come out for, like, five
0: seasons. Yeah.
1: I was, like, reminded... I forgot that I was still right. waiting for that until this reminded but me I was that's, like, oh, yeah. Like, I, I was so sure that, like, that would be a huge plot point, like, in, like, season three or something. And and then it wasn't. And
0: everybody else <laughs> forgot about that. Except like Drew Fresh. Goddard, like coming in right. and writing this like fresh-eyed look, but not just like okay, where can we take Buffy from like the current season, or even maybe going back in the previous season, but like knowing five seasons ago stuff that happened, you know, to yeah. that that has a real and and pretty significant effect. I mean, we see Willow's kind of immediate reaction, but hey, who knows? Like, maybe that will become another bone of contention. Like, maybe the payoff right. is still to come for you on that, right? Right,
1: right. like, you said, I said what yeah. now? <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and, right, right, like, they're in the heat of the argument. They don't pursue it. But, yeah, that's out
0: there So, now. So, yeah. again, just, like, big picture, looking at it, like, with Goddard right. as a writer, like, that's the kind of writer he is. Like, he's he knows the story. Right. He's a fan of the show. He's coming in with a fresh view and maybe not very much experience, but he's willing to kind of like do that thing that that I think they still like a lot of the writers still do go back and reference things that happened two three seasons ago, but like he's not afraid to like just pull in whatever he needs to to like kind of make the story work and
1: right and trust that the audience will yeah. follow it doesn't say like oh that was five um, seasons ago, and nobody and, remembers and, and, like and that's what I mean by i don't I don't mean to say, like, maybe with more uh, experience, he would have structured it a little more like like a Tim Minear kind of like smooth out those edges or whatever. But I don't even mean to say that it works despite him. Like, I sure. think he wrote the episode. I think he deserves the credit for it. I think it's more that in terms of things like you said, like the scope of it, the size of ambition of what he thought he could do. I feel like that's the kind of thing that maybe sometimes comes with like a newbie you haven't had your hard knocks yes. yet of learned like not to try things well, and that he came in kind of ready and willing to try things and it feels bold for and, that reason and
0: so like like the song like the, you know calling back to the musical episode like that was he didn't write the song we didn't write the song but that it was Goddard like convincing Whedon to write the song because because Whedon was like I'm too busy I've got three shows I I can't do it and right. then like Goddard
1: I already did the musical like, episode like no,
0: new yeah. new writer passionate we gotta have a song convinces Whedon to write another song you know and like right you know or at least bugs him enough that he does it and so like yeah like there's that thing of like um, he did say uh, and this would have been interesting too. He did say that his first idea was to go back to Hush because he he wanted to have, you know, an episode with Anya and Xander, you know, and and showing their relationship. And so he wanted to, he he originally wanted to go back to Hush um, because he wanted it to be like a big episode, you know, a recognizable episode where they could, you know, focus on the characters, but you kind of know what's going on around them. Um, But then he said it just became too hard to try to, like, figure out how to do that without like being able to talk. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So they went completely the other way and like had a musical number, um, right. which I think works really well.
1: Right. It does. Cause, and then it, it's that black humor of the juxtaposing that. Yeah. The, her sort of um, very happy housewifey contented feminine kind right. of song about her domestic bliss to like smash cut into like this bloody battle yeah. that's going on, um, um, and 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 in an episode that'll do that, that give you that kind of whiplash, that f- makes me feel like they might kill her, like because I don't know what else the episode is doing. So like, yeah, like why would I? You know, like I I, I wasn't like convinced, like, I wasn't 100% sure, but I was kind of nervous through, like, most of the episode of, like, they could actually do that, um, Mm. and the fact that this episode feels unpredictable, I think, uh, adds a lot
0: to that. Um, yeah, so, anyway, like, we can get into the details, um, but yeah, I just, I, I wanted to kind of give the that overview of, of kind of like some of the stuff and like how much of a fan of the show and, and sort of student in a way of the show that he actually is mm-hmm. in, in coming up with right. with the stuff here. Um but yes, let's talk right. about the flashbacks. Um at least more so than we have already. Yeah.
1: yeah right. So uh <laughs> eight eighty so- your and your sister, however you say this um this kind of like grainy almost black and white Swedish yeah. film that's going on and like yeah I I would I did kind of more guess that they were uh, sort of making up the language but it sounded like anything that kind of vaguely vaguely evokes the Swedish chef will probably sure. do like it has that that kind of comedy Swedish rhythm to it um <laughs> So, you know... And it does, like... Anya, like you said, is a quirky, silly character. So, of course, her origin is going to be, like... You know, in comedy, silly Sweden. Um, mm-hmm. Like, it's more the... It, it's less Bergman Sweden and more Monty Python doing Bergman. It's like the opening credits to the Holy Grail. Sure. Of, you know. The, it kind of is more that sort of thing. Um, yeah, and we get... The, yeah lots of little references like you said like apparently they have lots of bunnies and they breed them and this is what they do right. so like laying in these little origin seeds of like i guess it's her bitterness of this relationship that turned her off of bunnies it's not yeah. quite clear but at one point she was perfectly fine with bunnies well and it's hard to say because um, like it was over a thousand get, years like, ago so like and how much thing. of it
0: is conscious at this point right like just right. embedded it's in just her It's just like heart. a phobia.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Um, um, she's just gone off them and she doesn't even really remember why. Um, and so, and, okay, so we get the origin story of her sort of need for her, her, her scorned love and her desire for vengeance against unfaithful men and you get Olaf getting turned into a troll. So you're getting the kind of, um, you know, uh, kind of comic book, let's go back and show how this all started kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so, it's interesting, though, that even in this kind of silly little bit, you get the the reference of the title of Selfless that, you know, so she goes on, here's her, her communist roots. She goes on her little rant about uh, how they have so many bunnies because they just keep breeding, so... You know, what if we give them to the townspeople, not for goods or services, but just out of the sense of what does she say, the sense of accomplishment that stemmed from selflessly giving of yourself to others? So I don't feel like it's necessarily ever done this before, but in a way, it's kind of like suggesting a connection between Anya's, um, I guess, capitalist ideologies of you know goods in exchange for services and all that that wasn't where she started as a human being is what we're seeing in her kind of most idealistic self early on and is there kind of an implicit connection between these are all the ways that the world has sort of burned her and disappointed sure. her um, although and i mean there's there's olaf but then there's also like the townspeople like she kind of says to hofren like they, I like that they found her too literal even before she was a demon. So her, (laughs) like, her literal interpretations aren't necessarily a result of her demon state. It's just who she is, that she always took things very literally. Um, And it was off-putting to everybody else around her that, like, even then, as a human living in medieval Sweden... She was kind of an outcast Um, and people were, you know, didn't appreciate her and didn't really understand her and shunned her a bit. And then you add on to that Olaf's, you know, wandering hands or whatever, and you kind of get the sense of all these notions, these idealistic notions she started out with that were disappointed and the vengeance and the demon become this kind of protectiveness against that. And I wonder, like, it kind of seems like it's suggesting that that's her economic attitude, too. It's like, no more of this selfless, I don't know, uh, only ever giving of yourself and not expecting exchange in return, not expecting whatever it is appreciation or loyalty or something back from the other people. That it can't just be... She's done with being only the giver. She wants to also sort of receive from other people, too. Um, Yeah, I mean... I don't know where I'm going with that. But it kind of implies that there's like a connection between all these things.
0: And, I mean... I don't... Like, I don't necessarily disagree. I would be surprised if they... If, like... The writers took it to that level of like uh thought like i think th- at least listening to the commentary it sounds more like they just thought like oh wouldn't it be funny if like she was a communist like during the russian revolution or like you know mm-hmm. maybe she was more of like a yeah like a uh Well, I I mean, I don't even know what the right term would be there, but yeah, like, like the selflessness, because, because I guess the question, like, this is a good question of like, what does the title mean? And like, like, Mm, like, who, who, like, is she the selfless one? Like, what is the act of selflessness that she gives or, or the various acts? Um, And I, you know, I don't, I mean, we can talk about that as we talk through, but, like, I mean, from the economic perspective, they definitely bring, they don't bring up the, like, earlier flashbacks, um, but they definitely bring up, like, in the, you know, Russian Revolution one, like, oh, this is a gag, like, to have her sort of Mm. talking about, like, communist revolution and and that kind of thing, knowing how much of a, you know capitalist she later becomes um that's not i mean that's not to say that we can't read more into it because like authorial Mm -hmm. intent doesn't necessarily we don't have to necessarily stick with what the author intended um one way or the other or or didn't intend um so yeah i don't i mean i i'll be honest i didn't put that much thought into that aspect of it so sure
1: Well, and I think it's the, it's the use of the word selflessly that makes it seem significant to me, you know, because that, that's the title. And I mean, there's the, there's the double entendre, right? Of like, a lot of the episode is also about her, her, what she feels is lacking an identity of her own, like, or a purpose of Mm -hmm. her own apart from other people, apart from all these people that she sort of attaches herself to. And then, when they disappoint her, she moves to somebody else um, so there's that notion of does she have a self um, of her right. own apart from that um, right but then but then, I do think you know there is this we've talked a lot in the last i feel like the last season or two about her growing altruism of the fact that she especially in the last finale, the fact that she fights Willow when she doesn't have to, that Mm. she stays, she stays, she sticks around and gets out her book of spells and tries to help, or that she sits with Giles, um, even though she can't really do anything for him. And that growing and changing sense of what she says here about selflessly giving of yourself to others and how rewarding that is. And, uh, I feel like what this is suggesting is that it's a return to what her attitude originally was that she was driven away from because of all of these things that happened that made her a more hardened kind of person who didn't want to, she might've attached herself in some ways, but didn't want to just uh, give and give and not, you know, have that real relationship. And it's not really till Xander that that starts to happen. Um, so, I don't know. I'm surprised that it's not intentional because it's like
0: right there. I mean, (laughs) I can't say for sure (laughs) that it isn't either. I'm just, based on, based on what they say about the Russian Revolution thing, like, again, it, like, that's sort of very clearly called a gag. Um, given that this is tied to the rabbits right like like sh- the whole the thing that she's going to give selflessly is the excessive you know rabbits that they have right, right. so right. that sort of implies to me that that's another gag but i mean mm-hmm. just cuz it's a gag doesn't mean that it can't mean something more um so sure. i don't i mean i'm not trying to make a definitive statement i'm just saying I guess that's where like my thoughts would be. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I don't I mean I don't I don't have a counter argument or even answer response to that other than that. Sure. So um so it, yeah. so, um, so I mean taking that I mean and this is going out of order I know, but hey that's the kind of night it is yeah. um, the, you know, so thinking about like later then like, again, like, I guess the question is what's the, like, is it cause I, and I'm not, I'm asking cause I don't know that I honestly even know, like if, is there, if she's returning back to that, like what is, what is she doing selflessly in like the new, in like the present time? Of the story. Mm. Well.
1: She doesn't. Until the end. Um. I mean this is her. This is her. Backlash. Against another disappointment. Right? Like Xander. Leaves her at the altar. And. She goes back to vengeance demoning. Like that's. This is, and, I mean, she finds it more difficult than she has before she met Xander, but still, like, these are all the, the, she's been proven right yet again. Like, men are disappointing, relationships are, you know, a joke. Um, The only thing she needs in life is her sweet vengeance, and that's it. And so, like, it's really not, I mean, and clearly she's conflicted, although she's trying to pretend she isn't. Um, but I mean, I don't, I feel like it's, it's not really till the end that she makes the kind of what you could call the the selfless decision of, you know, bring them back in exchange for herself Mm -hmm. that she bargains with her own life to undo the, the evil thing that she did. Um, So but then there's also the other side of the word about her identity. So they're both right. I feel like both themes are going at the same well, time. Well, and of like
0: yeah. Right. And and the sort of irony there of like she's actually finding herself. Like like right. that right herself is rooted in sort of the like you said like the different relationships that she has. Um and so, like now, it's like like she's truly sort of cutting herself off from mm. all of those, whatever those relationships, however they define her, and looking for a definition of her own. Um, yeah.
1: So yeah, um, okay. I mean, I'm not sure how much else there is to say about Saint Petersburg. Other, I mean, it does feel a little more throwaway than this, the kind of Swedish stuff. Um, yeah. But like, you're seeing it. It has that effect of like the angel flashbacks of you're seeing her through history, and you know the the fact that she was <laughs> not just like around, but like a major player in world events, and like sure. you know pushed the Russian Revolution over the edge into, you know, what it turned out to be and everything. Um, you know, so and you get a sense of the history between her and Hal Freck, that they've been sort of going about enjoying themselves for quite a long time.
0: Um, yeah. Um, and, I mean, so there's the... You know, again, just sort of in the, you know, how she's sort of allowing herself to be defined by the men in her life. And even though, like, St. Petersburg is like her and Hallie, like, this is, you know, this is the, this is what de Hoffren gave her, right? Like, he gave Mm -hmm. her a new name. He told her what her true self is. And, like, as Mm -hmm. a vengeance demon and all that. And it's like she just kind of took that and ran with it for a thousand right. years, and, like, didn't really right. question it, and I think that's just kind of, I, I mean, I don't i don't know that there's much more to it other than that, but, yeah, like, I mean, I agree, like, there's, you know, it's kind of and, showing you the world events and kind of how things are, you know, how she's sort of playing yeah. into that, and also, like, comparing it to, like, this most recent act of you know, ripping out the hearts of frat boys, like, this is back when she was inciting revolutions and causing cities to burn, like, you know, Mm -hmm. because someone wished vengeance, right? Um, So this is, like, maybe a view into the, you know, the old Anya, well, the old Anyanka, right? Like, of, Mm
1: -hmm. like,
0: why everyone's so disappointed in her, like, more recent work. (laughs) Like, this is what she's capable of. If she would only, like, apply herself a little more.
1: <laughs> right. Well, and I think you get the, of, <clears throat> like, you know, the the Swedish timeline and then this and then the modern day. It's the one that's most, like, detached. Like, this is her at the height of her powers. You know, in, in her, with turning Olaf into a troll, that was done for personal reasons of he betrayed her and she wished this, you know, thing on him and cursed him. Whereas, um, in St. Petersburg, it's like, it has nothing to do with her. It's not her vengeance. It's not her pain or her anything. It's just her going around causing destruction on behalf of other people because they wished for it. and you kind of get that sense of like her detachment of like uh vengeance is what I do, I don't need anything else so it it's not even like righteous vengeance, it's not even vengeance that's personally motivated. it's just her at her most kind of objective demonic you know do what other people ask her to do kind of thing mm. um so like then again, yeah, to go from. You can slaughter a whole city and not blink an eye. And then to go from that to her fretting about a couple frat boys, like from how Freck's point of view is like how the mighty have fallen. Like, like, how can you worry about these frat boys when you were able to knock over an entire country um, and drink wine and have dinner and enjoy yourself while you were doing it?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so you can I mean that's the that's the change that we've been seeing is that that loss of detachment, that increased sense of empathy for other people and attachment to other people that she can't just hold herself separately from that she's sort of too involved now um, all right, so before we switch over to the frat Boys, let's do the last uh, flashback, which is uh, Sunnydale 2001 during Once More With Feeling. Um, so, I mean, we kind of talked around it a little bit, so I'm not sure that there's too much else. Um, it definitely surprised me that, like, in the middle of, like, the big climactic battle, we get a little musical interlude. Um, sure. And it is kind of her, like if St. Petersburg is her at her, the height of her vengeance, demon powers, this is sort of her at the height of her domestic happiness of sure. a fulfilled relationship. She has her doubts, for sure, because we saw that in the other song that they sang. Um, but at the same time, she's feeling happy and fulfilled and sure of herself and sure of her place and everything um so yeah and like you were saying like this all being about identity and how she defines herself by other people you know the whole song is about her name that who is she she's a missus um and she lists all her names and then adds Sanders at the end so I guess there is a little bit of ambiguity there of is it her defining herself by him that, like, yes, she's Mrs. Anya, Christina, Emanuela, Jenkins, but also it's the, like, Mrs. Harris part of it that makes it, like,
0: complete. Sure. Um, well, and, so I mean, all of those names it, it, are made little, up, yeah. too, right?
1: Sure, <laughs> right.
0: I mean, uh, except for Anya, which is just shortening Anyanka, but even that name was given to her. So sure. like right. like none of her names are actually like hers. Right. I guess. Right. I I yeah, I didn't have anything more to say The that. I'm just No. That's a good point. So I think it's it
1: is kind of ambiguous in that like it on the one hand it's her at her happiest, but on the other hand you have that sense of like well but are you kind of building your foundation on sand a little bit here of Mm -hmm. if it's not really, if her identity isn't really about her, if it's about these names that aren't really hers or this relationship, which may or may not last. And it doesn't, um, what are you left with? If it sort of comes out from underneath you. Um, so yeah. And then it, you know, cuts to her at her lowest moment, so it's, uh, it's pretty sad. Um, okay. I guess flipping towards, like, the present-day narrative, um, gosh, we're way over. Um, so I wanted to kind of first look at the attitudes toward, uh, Anya from the other Scoobies, because the... The attitudes toward her was again one of the, one of the many shocking aspects of this episode to me. Um, but mm. before we kind of get to the reactions like to what she does, um, there's like the conversation with Xander and Buffy about how Xander um, is thinking about reaching out to her. He says that they're definitely over. He's not trying to get back. He's Thinking about his own future, although doesn't sound, you know, too convinced that that's going to happen anytime soon, you know, uh, but he seems to think they're in a good enough place to kind of be somewhat friendly or reconcile or whatever. Um, And Buffy seems kind of, I don't know, uh, a little reluctant to believe that, a little unsure. Um I don't know. I don't know that I have anything else to add to that, but
0: Yeah, I mean I think you covered it. I mean I there's yeah, I don't think there's much to add there.
1: Um all right, so right, so then we cut from Xanders uh trying to convince Buffy that she's coming back around that, that, you know, the old Anya isn't the vengeance demon that she used to be. And then of course we see her having, um, slaughtered a whole frat house. So, um, yeah. And again, with the surprising things, I feel like I was kind of waiting for the reveal of like, well, there's some part we don't know. Like, it wasn't really her. She didn't really do it. There's some piece of information we're missing. There's something. But, like, no. It's like, she did this. And they kind of, like, from a writing point of view, again, with the boldness, that they kind of just commit to that. That she, we don't see what happens, but, and maybe it was somewhat unintentional and that she forgot the strength of this particular demon. Um But there's no kind of attempt to say, oh, well, she wasn't really responsible. It's like, they make it pretty clear that she was. Mm. Um, And, yeah, like, from this kind of silly, quirky character that we're talking about, um, that's a pretty shocking thing. Like, Willow had her dark Willow. And I don't want to say that wasn't as bad... But you kind of saw her going after these three specific people at first who had done this horrible thing. Sure. Whereas, like, I feel like with Anya, the fact that we just kind of get it, I don't know, maybe because we're not given any context for it. It seems kind of more random or more, I don't know what word to use, like callous or something. And just the fact that there's just, like, bodies everywhere. Um, I don't know. It kind of shocks you. It's not the thing I expect from Anya at this point.
0: Sure. Um.
1: Which is, I guess, I guess that's Xander's point. I mean, I guess maybe, I don't know, maybe the audience splits between Buffy and Xander here. Like, have you become convinced that Anya's not really capable of this kind of thing anymore? Um, Mm -hmm. Or do you believe, like, no, she's a vengeance demon, and that's kind of what they do, and you're a little bit of a sucker if you think that they don't?
0: Yeah, and, I mean, there's a certain sense of, like, she's getting back into, like, being her old self. Because that's, like, for most of her existence, she's been a vengeance demon. So it's like, you know, is Hallie right that, like, all she needs to do is just sort of, like, power through and eventually she'll, you know, Mm -hmm. remember what it used to be like and everything will be okay from that perspective? Or, you know, is Xander right that, like, no, there's something that's fundamentally changed about Anya, you know, Mm -hmm. to make her... Like she's not that way anymore and and there's so which is, you know, I mean that seems a bit like egotistical on Xander's part, right? Like like Mm. I'm like almost like he's the one who changed her, right? Like I mean that's Mm -hmm. a fairly typical egotistical male thing, I think, you know, for like, oh I can I can tame her or I can, you know,
1: Right, but there's a there's a female version of that too. Oh, of like, oh, it's the the the, the bad boy who only sure. I'm the one who can like make him go you know, so like I that's like certainly uh, not limited to uh the fact that Xander's a guy, but like it it is that aspect of like I had this effect on right. her. And right. yeah.
0: Um so, I, I think, yeah, I think there's some of that there on his part. But, I mean, I think but we... Ho- I think it's what
1: we want to believe, too, I think. We, I think. Like,
0: sorry. What were you saying?
1: Oh, I was just saying, I just said, I think it's also... Like, maybe that is a little wishful thinking, but also, isn't it what we want to believe, too? Yeah. Like, I think he probably has most of the audience on his side.
0: Right, there. and that's pretty much what I was going to say as well. Yeah, that, like like i think i what one of the things i like and i think where buffy is at its best is in those arguments like the one that the scoobies have here where like everybody has a point and none of them are entirely right and none of them are entirely wrong <laughs> like like i think we do as an audience want anya to be uh reformed rather than uh willing vengeance demon, right? Like like yes. yes, she's still doing vengeance, but her heart's not really in it. Like I think we want to agree with Xander. Um mm-hmm. because of you know the things that you sort of brought up before, like how even as a Vengeance demon, because she was a Vengeance demon at the end of season six, but she was still helping out the Scoobies. And mm-hmm. you know, those sorts of things that like show that, like, maybe maybe she was completely weird and awkward and didn't understand what being a human was when she was a human. But, like, maybe some of that still nonetheless rubbed off on her and makes her, like, something better than just a vengeance demon or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um At the same time, like, Buffy's right. Like, she chose to be... Anya chose to be a vengeance demon, and so there's a culpability or a complicity in that action, even more than like Willow in being mm. an addict or whatever, you know? Um So, and not to say that like Willow didn't choose, but like there are certain things where like maybe it escalated beyond her control. And so there is an aspect of like, even if maybe she took those initial steps at some point, like, she doesn't have that control. But Anya's never, like, that's not Anya's case. Like, she, she's still in control and could choose not to do things like rip out the hearts of frat boys. Um Which, by the way, Drew Goddard's like, that's really not that bad. <laughs> He's like, that's not, <laughs> right. maybe that's not a terrible right. well, thing. It's like,
1: when Willow goes to confront her and Anya's like, do, they, do you know what they did? And it's like, oh, ah, yeah, like, what did they do? You know? Sure. Um. Like, you know, maybe she uh, maybe she knows something we don't and it was justified. I don't know. Well, um, I mean,
0: we get the story from the girl about them bringing her in and, like, breaking up in front of her. But, yeah, like, I mean, are, like, that's just one thing. Like, maybe there's other things that they've done or maybe there's more of a, right, you know, history there even. Um,
1: right, right. And the fact that it is frat boys is, like, significant of, like, you know... Anya's like vengeance against uh men in particular. Sure. Like that's her specialty. You know, the fact <laughs> right. that it's this kind of very um you know, male dominant environment and, like
0: And I would say even yeah. like today that would be an even like stronger thing, you know, with conversations around like rape culture and, and right stuff that yeah. for you know for what it was they just weren't having those conversations in the 90s um or even early right. 2000s i guess when this was being made right. so um
1: right and like does that justify killing no but it it's a significant choice and then but it's, it's
0: hard to feel sorry for it, them it's
1: it, it's definitely implying that there was provocation that there were that this isn't just like Going Where? against, like, random civilians. Like, that there definitely was stuff going on that Anya was responding to and called in to address or yeah. whatever, um, you know, by this girl or by, you know, yeah. multiple well women or whoever.
0: Um, and, and even on the flip side of of, you know, the young woman who did call her, you know, one, like, I mean, people say, you know, I wish you were dead or I wish you knew what it was like to have your heart ripped out. But, like... I mean nobody does that sort of thinking like someone's heart is actually gonna get ripped out like they mean it metaphorically right. and and so this is this is sort of the vengeance demon fodder right of taking the sort of taking or i mean and going back even further i mean, I'm sure there's like the fairy tale aspect of this mm-hmm. of like taking the metaphorical or you know sort of loose interpretation and, like, making it literal, you know, in a way that would horrify... Be
1: careful what you wish for. Yeah, that would
0: horrify the actual person wishing, which here it does. And it's worth noting that Anya repeats the words of the girl. Like, the girl's in the closet saying, take it back, take it back, I want to take it back. Mm. And that's exactly what Anya says. I want to take it back. Take it back, I want to take Mm -hmm. it back. And so... So right. there's...
1: And there's a and there's a similar thing of she gets her wish, just not in the way that she intended. Sure. You know, sure. like, there's, be careful what you... Like, she wasn't specific enough. You yeah, know? even,
0: right, like, uh. even a vengeance demon can, like, fall victim to that kind of mentality, especially when, like... Yeah, like, I mean, you know, I mean, that's a great scene with the Hoffren. Like, you know, who did you think you were dealing with? even though like he comes in sort of gregariously and joking in a way like kind of like i'm the leader of the vengeance demons like who exactly did you think i was and what right, did you think right. i was going to do here um right. yeah um
1: right and anya thinking in that moment more like a human than
0: right well that's exactly like it right like she's...
1: Than, like the the vengeance
0: demons she yeah. isn't th- she's thinking and And right, like, this is, like, where the selflessness comes in. Like, like, she's thinking, like, I'll give up my own life to, like, restore these other lives that maybe aren't even worth as much, like, in some respect. If they are, like, Mm -hmm. mean and you know, assaulting and, like, whatever, you know, else might have happened um, Mm -hmm. there, then, then, yeah, maybe there's, like, an aspect of, like, Xander's totally right, like, she shouldn't be giving up her own life for them. But, like, she ends up not. She ends up giving up someone else's, which is, like, I mean, not only is that not selfless, it's, like, actively harmful, <laughs> like, you know, mm. in a way. And, you know, for someone who is, like, a good, not only a good friend, but, like, you know, Hallie even says, like, I am your only friend, like left, you know, mm-hmm. um, up to and kind of including the Scoobies at this point, except maybe Xander, right? Like, right? Um, right.
1: Yeah, and I want to talk about that for a few minutes because that definitely, like, I get, I, I get the arguments of that Anya's made choices that are that give her a greater agency than some of like Willow or someone else who's maybe not in control of their actions. Um, and I i also note the point you made earlier about Buffy's trump card of because I killed Angel, i you can't tell me I'm not willing to sacrifice people that I love or that I'm only willing to sacrifice people I don't care about or whatever. Um, but I, I'm a little bit on Xander's side here sure. in there's a quickness to condemn Anya that I found a bit disturbing. And, like, other than Xander, yeah, I, I felt a little offended on Anya's behalf of, like, people, like, by people I mostly mean Buffy, um, didn't, it just seemed like a very quick response and a very unconflicted response yeah. about um well she's she went Benjamin demon just like i said she would she proved me right guess i got a her. i've been knowing this day would come and it's finally here like this kind of like well geez you were thinking about this like actively and like just completely resigned to it like yeah. i'm kind of a xander like there's like a little bit of a lack of feeling here which is and i don't i don't think it's not necessarily the problem of like oh, why is Buffy being dark and unfeeling? It's more like it doesn't seem like the connection with Anya is there. Hmm. Like, was her connection purely through Xander? Did she and Buffy ever, like, is Buffy ever really going to feel conflicted about it the way that she did when it was Willow or when it was Angel? Like, even if she would fight them, even if she would kill them, she would at least, like, yeah, feel like, very bad
0: about that. <laughs> agonize over it a little more. <laughs>
1: yeah, and, like, it's that, it's, like, the biggest difference, is, like, it doesn't really seem like there's that same... I mean, now, I don't expect Anya to be quite at the same level as Willow or Angel, but still. Sure. Um, I, it's a... Yeah, it's a bit... I'm a... I don't know that I'm surprised. It's just sort of like, hmm, I don't know. You get to that moment and are sort of like, huh, like was there ever, I'm like trying to think of evidence for a connection that was made and maybe there wasn't one. Um,
0: Between Buffy and Anya.
1: Yeah, I guess so. Or Or Anya as a full, one of the Scoobies herself. Other than sure. just as an addition to Xander,
0: um, well, and maybe I mean that's kind of I think one of the points of this episode is that that she was just kind of an addition to Xander,
1: right? Um, right. That's sad. Yeah. Like that's like it's a really sad aspect of like because she's been with with the show since what like season two or three or something, mm. and it's like. To get to season seven and have her, like, get to the point where Buffy has to kill her, as Buffy has to do with, you know, good guys occasionally, or people we think of as good guys. And to have the conclusion of that being, oh, does Buffy even really care? Does she even really, like, feel conflicted or feel bad about it? It's like, that's kind of a sad thing after many years and seasons. Sure. Um, but, like, in a in a way that I think is, like, it's challenging. Like, I think, and again, that's part of the boldness of this episode is it doesn't just go for, like, the easy way of doing it. Like, Like, this is actually, like, I don't know. This has the potential to piss people off, which I think is always, like, probably a risk worth taking, you know? Sure. <laughs> of, like... You know, people getting angry at Buffy or angry at Anya or whatever. Um.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, so again, like, I think, I mean, you know how much I like Anya. So, like, I mean, I'm with you when you say like you're leaning towards Xander, but I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think you can wholly like dismiss Buffy's argument though either, because like again, and sure. and but you acknowledge. So, I mean, I. I don't mean to beat a dead horse or anything, but um, or even a live one. But uh, you know, there is that aspect of you know she killed Angel. She, you know, I mean it's basically up. It's basically her decision. You know, because Anya chose to be a demon, like is almost even more culpability there than like someone who's just a vampire because they got bit or, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, maybe that's just their being is just they were born or created as a demon and that's what they are. And like, you know, how much do you fault someone for like being who they were born as? (laughs) Like, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a certain amount of that's just what and who they are. Like, you can't really do anything about it. Um, But like, I mean, I agree with you. Like, there's. There is something different about Anya. And so you have... So, I mean... Interesting how it all works out. Like, it's ultimately Anya's decision, but you have sort of the three Scoobies going off and doing their own thing. And we've talked before about how well Mm -hmm. that works out. But you have Buffy, you know, taking the fighting approach. You have Xander, you know, trying to take the emotional, like appeal right. approach and then you have willow <laughs> going and doing her magic to summon De Hoffren for whatever yeah. good that might do um which itself is sort of a callback to um i think it's something blue where where the, like the sort of like first offers mm-hmm. her like a position as a vengeance demon right um
1: okay yeah I, I wouldn't remember what episode I, it was. Only yeah, because
0: I, I think they episode. mentioned that in the commentary. Like I don't, I don't remember that off the top yeah. of my head. Well, and
1: he clearly like notes her. He, right. Like, oh, he remembers her, and like she's certainly proved herself. Like, if she would want to do that, he right. would be like all over it.
0: Right, and even like, oh, oh wasn't that your presence I felt today? When she kind of goes dark eyed, you know, with right. the
1: right tells the girl to shut up yeah. and yeah, and then it's like kind apologizes. Of scary for
0: yeah. A um. So like, like. I mean it kind it kind of works out, like, but not like well. It's messy. <laughs> like right. you know, right. it's not certainly Right,
1: and only because only because Anya takes control.
0: Right. Eventually. Right. It's like Right, because of something that none of the Scoobies have ultimate control over. Because like once the Hoffren's called, like he's kind of beyond their power. Even like Buffy as the slayer, mm-hmm. like, you know, maybe Willow can summon and like contain him in the ring, but she can't like prevent him from doing other things elsewhere, right? Like mm-hmm. um and so like yeah, like there is that aspect of like again, they're all kind of partially right and partially wrong, and none of them really has the proper solution. I mean, Willow maybe comes the closest in like appealing to someone else. Um but even right. that like has its results of You know, whatever. Um, So, yeah. uh, So, we should talk about that result. Because the end result is that Hallie is the one who's killed. Um, Yeah. Much to, like, like there's, like, an emerging, you know, realization for Anya, like, of what's going on as it's happening. Mm. And... Right. Um... Yeah, Holly, her her best friend is the like you you know, and again, it's like the phrasing, right? It's um, you know, it's not impossible, but the fates re- require a sacrifice. Uh, you know, the the life and soul of a vengeance demon, and so like this is like a complete death, right? Like like this isn't right. like Buffy being brought back with the urn of you know, whatever the god was, you know, um. This is, like, it's your, not just your life, but your soul being consumed. Mm-hmm. And so Anya's willing to give up her own, but then, like, realizes, like, it's Hallie's. And, you know, we see that sort of happen with, like, hoffrin's sort of dead stare, right? Like, um, yeah. so um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Hallie because um, there's a few things that, that I wanted to bring up and something that I was sort of going to mention a while back when it was relevant um, and then never did. So I don't know <laughs> if you remember, uh, gosh, I don't even remember what episode it was off the top of my head. I should have looked this up. Um, there's a brief episode where Hallie and Spike look at each other and mm-hmm. recognize, mm-hmm. did we talk about this? Right. We
1: well, yeah, We, we did. did. That like they seem to know each other. Okay. That, like, but did we talk about how they know each at other? Some point. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe
0: not. <laughs> All right. So you don't remember? Refresh my memory. <laughs> um, I can't remember. So, Hallie calls him William. So the, right. I, you know, the idea being that she knew him before he was a vampire when he was William the Bloody, of the bloody awful poetry. Uh. She is Cecily. From back uh we we saw the episode where Spike is turned.
1: Oh we you did you did, did I, tell me that. Did I bring yes. this up? Okay. You did. Um, yes. Okay. Well yes, so sorry.
0: So then I guess I did bring this up um before. So yes, yeah, so she she's Cecily. Um in the comics, they actually there's a comic, um, Spike Old Times, where they kind of go through um, another meeting between Spike and Halfrick um, in Los Angeles, um, and this is this is during. Oh gosh, I should have looked up all the details, but like this is during like Buffy season five, I want to say, um, mm-hmm. and you know, basically, it's like an ancestor of like, like basically, she's been wreaking vengeance on. Spike's family, or, well, William's family, um, mm-hmm. for, like, millen or, well, not millennia, but centuries or whatever, and, mm-hmm. um, like, all of the male members of the family, when they turn 30, she basically kills them. So, um, like, in the comic book, like, it, it's, like, Spike basically trying to save, like, one of his, uh well not ancestors but whatever you know the the descendants of like his family mm-hmm. from from Hallie and there's like a whole like you know confrontation between them and anything but anyway so all that to just say like this is I guess I I didn't remember talking about that before but um this is the last time we see Halfrick. so I just want to make sure we kind of closed out her character and and kind of talk through that yeah uh connection um a little bit too, just because I hadn't remembered <laughs> doing it before. Yeah, um, well,
1: s- some of it you did mention, but I don't think I don't think I remember you mentioning the part about the comic, like yeah, the story with Spike um, and everything.
0: So actually, that comic, which is like, I mean, you know, we've talked about canon and the non canon before. It's considered a non canonical comic, um, but it's the first mention of uh, Williams' last name as uh, Pratt. So, uh, so William <laughs> Pratt, um, which, you know, I mean, a, a good, you know, sort of double entendre there, um, sure. you know, with his sort of attitude, but, um, apparently, and I've not read, uh, th- so the, currently the comics are now up to season 11, um, and apparently in just, just this past May, they made that surname, uh, for, william canonical so that's that's okay. william the bloody's actual surname is william pratt uh, that's funny. Um, but yeah but it, it's just funny how that like i mean how many years passed between you know those things and and now yeah, they're right. they're kind of like acknowledging it but um
1: right we might as well make this official
0: anyway so yeah so um, but i mean that is, so it was one of those things where like um, Fool for Love is is the episode, the season five episode, where she appears in a flashback as Hallie and then, um, or sorry, as Cecily, and then doesn't appear as Hallie until like season six. Um, and right. and like, it's one of those things where like, you never know, like in the Weedonverse, is this just like, are they just reusing an actor? Because we've seen that even just within Buffy, sure. you know, let alone like bringing an angel and stuff. Um, but, like, Whedon has, like, confirmed, like, oh, no, this is, you know, this Mm. is, you know, canon, uh, you know, that she, that Cecily and Halfric are the same entity. Right. Um, and that after what we see in Fool for Love, um, with Spike being, you know, laughed at for his, or, well, William being laughed at for his poetry, and then he runs out, and that's when he meets Drusilla, and... Yada, yada, yada. Um, like, immediately after that, like, that same night, Cecily, like, wreaks vengeance on all of them. And I'm not clear if that's, <laughs> like, if, like, she's just in disguise and is a vengeance demon at that point. Or if, like, that if that's, if that's her, what, like, odd that's moment. That's uh, what gets uh, and, to, to and notice And gets her, her noticed, and then, yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, wh- whichever is the case, that's, that's sort of, like, the... You know, beginning of, like, her connection to Spike and his family and, and kind of the right. longer story of the recognition there.
1: Right, right.
0: Um. Anyway. But, yeah, so Hallie's dead. And, like, dead dead. Yeah. dead. We won't see her again. Yeah. Um, in, in real life, the actress, um, played by uh, uh, Callie Rocha, or, or Roca, or I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name. Um, was, like, off doing, like, theater at this point. And so, like, her couple of appearances that she has in season seven to this point, I think only two or three, right, at this point, um, were all, like, filmed, mm-hmm. basically, like, in one day. She had to, like, fly out and, like, oh, turn around and then go back to, uh, you know, her... Right. Whatever play she was in at the time.
1: Whatever else she was yeah. doing, yeah. Um... Yeah, that's great because she has been in a few episodes so that must have been yeah. a crazy day. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's I mean, for as much as we've kind of like teased about like, oh you know, how Freck is like in air quotes, the true friend of Anya and like, oh, like kind of telling her like she should be trying to get back with the in crowd of impressing all her old demon friends and stuff. Like, yeah, it's kind of hard to argue that there is anybody who is a closer friend to Anya at this point. Um, like you said, like it, she does seem disconnected from the Scoobies. Mm-hmm. So for as much as how Frick is like a bad influence, let's say, to put it mildly, right. like at the same time, you still feel like the loss of when she's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, beyond Anya's connection for her, even just the idea of, Her sacrifice being twisted and turned into something she didn't mean it. And that anybody else, even a demon, um, took her place is just kind of an awful notion.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, When she had kind of made this decision and resigned herself to it. Um, Like, much as I don't want to see Anya killed and annihilated utterly um still it's like if that was her decision and she wanted that to happen in order to undo what she did then it's kind of gut-wrenching to see de hoffrin like twist those words and take it away from Mm -hmm.
0: her um yeah yeah always always go for the hurt he says or whatever the i don't know exact uh, right thing that he says but go, always go for the pain right like rather yeah. than the kill
1: um okay well we've gone quite long so maybe we should yeah wrap up soon what other like anything major points that we need to establish that
0: we no well so we should just feel like talk we about spike a little bit at the end but mm-hmm. I think I mean, I think, as far as like Anya's story, and i don't I mean, I think everyone else is sort of supporting that story in this episode, yeah. um, except yeah, Spike, yeah. which kind of has his own little thing, but um I think we've hit most most everything, um, so yeah, so spike, I don't trust what I see anymore, yeah. he says mm. um. And, yeah. yeah, so any more thought behind what it is that he's seeing or thinking or, like, because, like, he's saying this to Buffy, but then it turns out to not actually be Buffy.
1: <laughs> right, which I like the fake out of you could guess it because of how nice she's being. Like, you know that's sure. not Buffy because she's, like... You know, oh, don't worry. Like, we'll like, striking his hair. Oh, we'll get through this together. And then, like, real Buffy walks in and you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> real Buffy's like, get up. Pull yourself together. Mm-hmm. I don't have time for this. Um, So, yeah. I don't know that I have. I mean. It's like being Buffy in that moment is trying to manipulate him clearly and confuse him and you know saying I can help you we'll get through this like if that's not Buffy okay get through what what is it referring to what is it that whatever this is wants him to do um Mm -hmm. you know what is it trying to manipulate or convince or trick him into doing sure for it um So, but it clearly doesn't have the character quite right because there's a difference between how whatever that is treats him and how the real Buffy, you know, like Buffy gives him the tough kind of love of like, she's not coddling him. She's not comforting him, but it's not that she doesn't care. It's her saying, you shouldn't be here. So get up off your butt and go, Mm. um, which is clearly the healthier message, but it's not the nicer one. It's not the one that feels, um, you know, good or satisfying or whatever. Um, sure. So it's kind of, whatever this is, is kind of giving him Buffy, but Buffy as he kind of wants to hear her
0: be. Yeah. And, um, and while you're right that I think, like, we can sort of maybe tell, you know, as the viewers... It's at least convincing enough to him when the real buffy isn't around um, right. whether whether it's convincing because it acts like the real buffy or it's convincing because it's sort of like his his He's mind a little, buffy yeah because like we all have right. like like you think of people in certain ways, right and that's why people can surprise you is because like, oh I never thought you might do something like that or I didn't think you would say a thing mm-hmm. like that, and it's because we have our own little Head cannon of, like, the right. people around us, right? So, so, sure. like, does that make it more convincing that, like, like, is this a head Buffy? Like, we have head mm-hmm. Six and head Baltar and those types of things. Like, is it just sort of part of his, yeah. you know, psychotic break or whatever, a result of him getting his soul back? Or is it something different? Um, mm-hmm. Have you thought of a connection or a reason or like, like, do you have any thoughts about what or who or how this might be happening?
1: No, okay. not really. Right.
0: Um, and that's no, fine I mean, if you don't, I mean, I'm,
1: it, it, and Buffy's the anomaly, like the rest of them all have connections as like, you know, major kind of villains of, um, the story apart from Buffy. So that's the part I'm kind of not finding a way to fit her into, uh, that pattern. Yeah. Um, Um, but, um, but no, I will keep, I will keep pondering.
0: You know, I, just because I know you like prepare the, like the, the documents with our notes and stuff. (laughs) Have you seen like, the titles of any upcoming episodes <laughs>
1: um i mean i'm sure i have but i no, none have, of like, them
0: have like triggered ru- anything none have, for like, you spoiled
1: me on anything. okay just
0: curious um
1: i don't really ponder them too hard
0: yeah and, like ahead of time and like i mean had you seen like selfless you wouldn't necessarily know that it's like an anya episode and like talking about right. her finding herself and like that type of thing so
1: Right. And maybe only in retrospect right. will I get like, oh, that's... But that's
0: that sort happens. of the curiosity yeah. to me is is if, you know, those sorts of things give any, you know, mm. give away anything or, or if they, or yeah, like you said, like it, it out of context, you just really can't say.
1: Well, if I start looking for it, it might. And so, I'm not saying... You know, haven't really been uh, looking too hard up to this point.
0: I'm not even saying that any of them should. Like, I don't. I'm not. I don't mean to imply that they do. I, to be honest, I there's only like one or two episodes that I can even think the titles of coming up. So, sure. Um. Anyway, I'm just curious if anything, uh. Might have triggered for you there, but um. If not, that's cool too, and we'll we'll just keep our eyes open. Um. Also, actually, um, one thing with the Hoffren don't want to forget that he repeats a line we've heard before, uh, from beneath you, it devours. Oh,
1: from beneath you, it devours. Um,
0: so there's also that, like there's sort of the spike thing going on, which has been sort of a running theme. And then there's that, which has been another running theme. Um, we haven't had any young girls in other countries getting Mm -hmm. murdered recently, as far as we know anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yay, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, you know, but lots of other people. Getting at, at least, so. at least there's there's those sort of things to hang our hat on, and uh, yeah, um, yeah. Of course, we've got two weeks of Angel coming up here in a row. Oh, so,
1: gosh, okay.
0: Um, we'll we'll maybe have to put some of that on hold a little bit, and you know. Turn our eyes back uh, towards Cordy and her return. Uh,
1: yes, which yep. is
0: where we'll pretty much be picking up. I mean, not to give away anything, but like that probably isn't a big surprise. Um, so yeah. Uh, with that said, I think we can uh, we can call this one a wrap, and uh, we'll be back next week to talk about some Angel and some more BSG. We'll get to see, uh, I guess, we're Starbuck set headed off to, maybe I don't even remember to be honest. What Yeah, see the what the next episode is. But
1: uh, Happy conditions of the former sewage ship.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, that I'm sure the smell is, and it's not like they can go like air it out somewhere, like they're in space, right? So, right. You you have limited mm-hmm. options as to um, sanitation and uh, freshening. Yeah, it's a lot of Febreze. Uh. <laughs> Anyhow,
1: unfortunately, the the Febreze ship did not make it off of right. the attack of that the one. Colonies, uh, so, <laughs>
0: the Cylons got know? that one, so that's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> but that's where the cookie crumbles. All right, yep. we are definitely um, hitting that giddy point, so we should go.
1: Yeah. On that note, all right. See you next time.